Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Sunday Night Week 11 Review Edition. I'm your host, Dean Hartson. Joining me on this lovely Sunday evening, the one, the only MB Fantasy Life's finest, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. What's up, Dwayne? What's up? Week 11, we're heading into Thanksgiving, Ian. What the hell? Like, where'd the year go? Best, best holiday of the year, bar none. I won't hear any takes stating otherwise. And yeah, guess what, guys? We're doing the same damn thing we do every single Sunday night. Every single game that just happened Sunday, Dwayne's utilization, what I've seen with the film, and we're just going to talk a bunch in between. So you guys know how it goes. Let's get after it. Starting off with not the game in snowy Buffalo. We actually had to go all the way to Detroit to watch the Bills take down the Browns 31-23. Browns did not lose on the spread, though, Dwayne. That's important. Good teams win. Great teams cover. It was a push with the Bills as eight-point favorites. The game total did cash at 50.5. Apologies to any of you, like myself, Dwayne, that tried to be ahead of the curve, pounded the over the second we found out this was getting moved to Detroit, and then the handy-dandy bookies had to go ahead and take those bets <laughs> off the board. Wouldn't be that way if it was reversed. I'm not bitter at all, but still focusing on, you know, the important stuff here. The Bills run game, man, was really the story of the day. Singletary and James Cook each each rushed for 86 yards. And while Singletary did continue to have the overall snap share lead, 71%, just 25% for James Cook, it was just impressive to see the Bills, or maybe I should say, it really sucked and hurt to see the Browns defense unable to stop this Bills rushing game. I mean, it wasn't a game that ever felt like the Bills were completely destroying the Browns, but it also never really felt especially close. You look up at the end of the day and Josh Allen, just 27 pass attempts, only the second game all season. He had fewer than 30. Yeah, we got to Stefan Diggs touchdown before halftime. Everyone was about to freak out because he had zero targets up until about one minute was left there, but he got that. Gabriel Davis had, you know, a solid enough day. Dawson Knox guys, seven catches for 70 yards it was fine it was an underwhelming 31 point performance if there is such a thing and i don't really think we have too many all-encompassing fancy takeaways for a bill's offense that we knew was really good going to the game and guess what Dwayne? they are still very much one of the best offenses in the nfl yeah nothing really new here i mean devin singletary again 100 of the two-minute offense 78 percent of the long down a distance naheem hines i know we keep hearing he doesn't have the playbook down yet i mean i don't i, I don't know how long that takes but only out there for 15% of the snaps. Um, James Cook, really in the same role he's been in, but because to your point, you had the Bills much more committed to the running game this week. Dude, they only dropped back to pass 49% of the time. That is a season low. This is a team that typically just keeps the pedal to the metal in the passing game. So I'm not sure what was going on there, if that's still just kind of trying to protect Josh Allen's elbow, you know, maybe manage things a little bit in a game they thought that they could win. Um, no clue, but yeah, there's nothing else really here. Nice game. Like you mentioned for Dawson Knox, 28% target share. So that was good to see, but, uh, you know, it's pretty much, you know, after you get past Stefan Diggs here, we're not really sure where the ball is going to go each week. 
on the Brown side of the ball. Jacoby Brissett has been the problem from time to time. Not today, though. 324 yards, three touchdowns through the air, and could have been a lot more. I mean, David Njoku, good to see him out there again with that ankle. We'll talk about his usage in a minute, but he looked healthy. He had a hurdle out there where he looked like the same old athletic freak that we've seen do a lot of good things in fantasy this year. But he had a potential 25-yard catch go off his hands. And then Jacoby, back-to-back dimes in the end zone that got dropped for a potential 14-yard touchdown from the other guys. Underrated movie. But in this case, Harrison Bryant and Farrell Brown just couldn't come down with those 14-yard scores. Later, Amari Cooper almost had a 30-yard catch. His second foot came down out of bounds. Harrison Bryant had another near touchdown where he had it in his hands, only with one foot down in bounds. And if that wasn't enough for you, Amari Cooper caught a touchdown, had a two-point conversion, and then they reviewed it and found out that his foot did, in fact, go out of bounds first. Almost had the octopus, Dwayne, one of my favorite terms in all fantasy football. Your guy scores a touchdown and gets a two-point conversion. Eight points for the octopus wasn't meant to be so again counting stats for Jacoby showed up but unfortunately could have been even bigger and in real life the Browns did need those points but because he put up those counting stats we saw Amari Cooper go for a buck 13 and two touchdowns not a road game Dwayne a neutral game that's how Amari was able to overcome those completely meaningless and arbitrary splits but you know people are going to keep on holding on to him and even Don from Peoples Jones found the end zone for the first time all season he has now gone seven straight games with at least 50 receiving yards over 60 yards in six of his last seven. So yeah, Nick Chubb didn't get anything going. Kareem Hunt continued to not make all that much happen uh, with his touches. So yeah, man, it was another pretty solid performance from a Browns offense that again, I think that Jacoby and company, they've really overcome. I mean, they've been way better than I thought they were going to be throughout these first 11 weeks. Unfortunately, coming into this game, we were looking at the league's second worst defense in points per game, in EPA, in EPA allowed per play. And that's why the Browns are unfortunately now just three and seven uh, as week 11 comes along. So any big takeaways here for the Browns offense? I feel like some of the good receivers were just doing good things out there. Yeah, no, nothing with the receivers. Um, you already, you, you covered that really well. The tight end situation. We did see David Njoku back today, but they did limit him only a 40% route participation. My guess is that they'll slowly ramp that up. I don't know. He could be back full, you know, by the next game, but Coming off the high ankle sprain, it, you know they were a little bit cautious with him. So Harrison Bryan actually led the way with 63% route participation. But again, most likely just due to the injury. Again, really impressive game from Mari Cooper. I already got my little highlight film scheduled for the morning tomorrow, Dwayne. My favorite part was he was chilling. This was the most Amari Cooper thing ever because you know how, how chill of a guy he is. Like Amari Cooper's idea of a good time is playing chess until like 4 o'clock in the <laughs> He's morning. He's not your and- diva. Right, right. So it was like 10 minutes left in the second quarter or something. Josh Allen throws the ball out of bounds. And Amari, like without breaking stride, just reaches up one-handed, snags the ball on the sideline, flips it to the ref in one motion, and then like goes and starts talking to a coach about some play. Like the dude is just a baller. And as you tweeted out, Dwayne, what, Cowboys gave up essentially two fifth-round picks? Yeah. Like, oh, man. They swapped their sixth, you know, whatever those will be. But, yeah, it's just too – I don't get it, man. And, and, And a contract that ultimately looks really affordable now compared to the offseason stuff we saw. Obviously, Cowboys doing just fine, too, but, you know, it is one Yeah, of but they want to go get OBJ now. Like, you'd much rather just have Amari. 100%, but I will say OBJ is going to look good with that star he on his home with Dwayne. More on that in a bit. Falcons took down the Bears 27-24, covering as two-point home favorites. The over continues to cash in all these Bears games. This week, it was only at 48.5. They'll be surprised sooner rather than later. We are seeing those getting back in the 50s. So, Kings stay Kings, Dwayne, and we have a new NFL record holder for total kick return touchdowns in a career. Court Daryl Patterson with nine. He was tied with Josh Cribbs 
and Leon Washington. Not one man stands alone atop the record books. Best kick returner in NFL history, not punts. Bears fans, chill the hell out. CPAT, absolutely love it. And that helped make up for, again, not the best usage in the world. At least we did see Cordero Patterson lead his own damn backfield in touches, but he did not leave his own, lead his own damn backfield in snaps, Dwayne. So Tyler Algier, again, last week he looked good. Guess what? This week he looked good too. I believe he actually tied for the week high with the five missed tackles forced on carries, which is pretty impressive considering he only had eight carries on the day. So one of those things where I wish I could be more upset with Arthur Smith, but he did do his job here. He won the game. He got his 27 points. He gave CPAT back the lead job. I'm not too overly upset here. That said, Dwayne Cordero Patterson, as much as I would love to anoint him as his top 10, top 12 running back moving forward, he's a touchdown dependent RB2. And let's face it, probably not going to be returning too many kicks for touchdowns this year to get those touchdowns. Yeah, I think he's a high end RB3. I mean, that's Ooh. where I moved him down to had, last week. Had to it's go just- there. I know. I'm sorry. Look, I love Corderell. Look, I, I saw that. I saw that you told people to sit Corderell Patterson. I was so proud of you. Actually, looking, he went with the data and not his heart. Of course, you know Corderell did come through with the uh, kick return. To your point, but yeah, uh, you mentioned it already. 49% of the snaps versus 55% for Tyler Algier. He had 34% of the rushing attempts, which was the lead on the team. Um, but Algier had 28%. We didn't see Caleb Huntley involved this week, but Mariota was. So Mariota had a 30 had 31 percent of the team rushing attempts. The thing that, man, it just I, drives me nutty about it. You know, Ian is 86 percent of the long down and distance going to Algier, 100 percent of the two minute offense. We know we know that is an area that Patterson could just like, I mean, would be so great. You know, I mean, this guy's a receiver. So I would be fine with the splits being the way they are if they just gave him the passing down work. Um, and I feel like they're going to have to try to consider something especially with the fact that, you know, who knows how bad the Kyle Pitts injury is, but it looked really bad. You know, I'm not a doctor, but my guess is Kyle Pitts is, and maybe something's come out. I haven't looked in the last hour or two. I won't be surprised if Kyle Pitts is done for the season. The only thing we've heard so far is the early indication is he didn't suffer any torn ligaments, but yeah, it looked, it looked bad. Look I hope bad. so, man. I hope so. But fingers crossed. Because I mean, again, I was talking about it a little bit going into this game. I mean, the earlier season issues about Kyle Pitts's volume haven't been as apparent in recent no. weeks. It's more so just been Marcus Mariota not being able to put the ball in the the right zip code that Kyle Pitts happens to, you know, be running his routes in. So please get better, Kyle Pitts. If he is going to miss time, you would like to think Drake London can play a six, 60 minute football game and get more than three targets today. He could not. He did happen to score a touchdown on one of those. Again, with Drake London, Dwayne, I've really been impressed. We've seen it throughout the year, even on that touchdown, the guy can create all sorts of separation, which was the one kind of quote unquote knock on him that I think, you know, you and me were perfectly at peace with not worrying about it by the time the draft came around, but it did still hinder on the guy. So if we do see Kyle Pitts miss a little bit of time, would that be enough for you to get London back in as like a recommended upside wide receiver three? Again, it's sad that that's kind of like the extent I'm going here with getting behind Drake London moving forward. If we remove Kyle Pitts, it reminded me of ranking Cortland Sutton this last week where it's like no Judy, no Hamler, ah, yeah. kind of a top 20 <laughs> option. So with Drake London, if Pitts is going to miss some time, what would be your rest of season expectations? Yeah, I think you, I think you nailed it there. I think you start with looking at him as a wide receiver three and look, this is a guy that's done really like of all the rookies, like his target share, you know, has actually been the best of all of them. His targets per route runner up there, you know, so Alave is leading in most categories, but London's been right there as far as once you kind of offset the fact, the offense that he plays in, right. You're just looking at the ability to demand the targets yards per route run, things like that. They're really close. 
Um, so we know he's a good player, and we've talked about this in the past. You know, it's tough if you've got Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk in a run-heavy offense, just like if you've got Kyle Pitts and Drake London. But if it's down to one of them, yeah, he would be the guy that I would expect. And the route participation has been really good lately. Early in the year, we saw some weird stuff with, like, Drake London out there, 60% of the routes. Like, what's going on? We haven't seen that in a while. So as long as that doesn't come back into play – He's out there 80 to 90% of the routes. Yeah, I do think that you put him back into the wide receiver three conversation. And we can ease our way in, you know, next week especially, because we don't have any teams on bye. So next week, he still may be a wide receiver four. But then in the two weeks after that, we'll be back to bye week stuff. You know, maybe he's in that wide receiver three conversation. But it is a wide receiver three profile overall. Um, and Kyle Pitts, man, I do just feel for him because he's kind of like, I don't know if any of you guys play golf. I used to, but I got so frustrated because I would go out one day I would hit my driver really well. Then the next time I would go out, my driver would like be in the woods, and then I would be hitting my irons really well. <laughs> and then the next time I'd go out, I hit a driver well, my irons were bad, and then I would be putting really well. Always one part of my game would be good enough to make me want to keep playing golf, but that's how it's been with Kyle Pitts. Early on, it's like, oh, man, all the underlying stuff is good, but the Falcons don't you know, run enough plays. Then it was, oh, all the underlying stuff is good, but they don't put him on the field enough. Then it became, oh, my God, he's out there. He's getting all the targets. But Marcus Mariota can't hit him. It's just like one thing after another. And then finally, I mean, I thought today was really going to be it, to be honest, because he'd just been just barely off so many times. And I thought, man, there's no way the bad luck can continue. And then today he gets hurt. You know, so I, I feel for Kyle Pitts because it's one of those things I know a lot of people hate him and not hate him, but they're disappointed. <laughs> right. You had to spend an early draft pick on him. So I get it why you'd be upset. But I have to say, all the things that we thought would be there for Pitts, as far as like him, the player himself, like it's there. It is there. So he's going to be really, it's going to be really fun next year to see where we rank Kyle Pitts and see how the public reacts to that. I think it's fair to hate the experience of having Pitts on your fantasy football team. Agree. I know I have on a lot of these teams. My Pitts teams stink. My Pitts teams are the Pitts. They're all God. losing. I have three really bad teams out of like the 30 I have with like two or three wins. All three of them have Kyle Pitts on it. Because you had to take him, well, especially FFPC, you had to take him in the second round, man. Yeah, not good. Final note on the Falcons. Back back to the backfield just for a second. It was only Tyler Algier and Cordero Patterson. Caleb Huntley only played 4% of the snaps. No Avery Williams. So just a one-week you know, setting here. We've seen more weeks of them using three or four running backs. But if we do get it, only CPAT and Tyler Algier. Yes, CPAT probably going to be more so that upside RB3 that Dwayne brought up. But Tyler Algier on some of these deeper benches, 14-team flex leagues and all that going on. All of a sudden, 10 to 12 you know, touches per game. You could be doing worse sometimes. On to, you know, a more, I guess, fantasy-friendly side of the ball. Thanks to our one king, Justin Fields. I'm not sure if he's going to be cracking the top five quarterbacks for the fifth straight week, but he's going to be close. 85 more rushing yards and a touchdown on the ground. Chipped in with a buck 50 through the air and another score. So almost had an even bigger day. Had a wide-open Darnell Mooney for a 67-yard touchdown when the cornerback had already fallen down. I've had some Bears fans arguing, oh, Mooney should have kept running. Whatever you want to call it, it should have been a 67-yard touchdown. It was was not my personal opinion would say it was a little bit of an overthrow that's why it they was. say yeah when those guys are wide open throw it to them you know don't try to make the perfect throw the fields know the cornerback was going to fall down when he threw it probably not but guess what it was an overthrow plenty of people have them i get it i, I do enjoy the random Tua uh fans popping up in the mentions Dwayne, <laughs> when i'm tweeting about fields bears fans are going nuts and there's one random guy going you know, all of a sudden the two underthrows aren't so bad, are they? So I, I did enjoy that little side uh, quest going on in the old mentions. But 
Again, just another great performance from Justin Fields, and we hope he is going to be okay. Did suffer an injury to his non-throwing shoulder. Uh, Scott Hansen with Red Zone always does such a great job, but he had a great line saying that, you know, banged up in the second half, doing the Ben Roethlisberger out there just with one body part after another banged up. So, <laughs> Dwayne, I mean, honestly, I know Fields is a big guy, and, you know, you saw it out there. It's not just him being more elusive and athletic than some of these rushers. Like, he lowers his shoulder when he needs to. That said, he is now on pace this year for 189 carries, 1,289 rushing yards, and 11 rushing touchdowns. But, man, I'm not overly surprised if he is starting to get banged up. 15-plus carries a game potentially can do that to a guy. So maybe not that high on the season, but just – it feels as healthy because I don't think we have any reason to believe he's going to be missing time with this, Dwayne. I mean, he's a top five quarterback the rest of the way. And if you want to say top three, like, I don't know who's going to be arguing with you at this point. Yeah, I mean, he's top five for sure. I I think he's top three. But, I mean, it, there's there's a group of guys, we've talked about it, that really are dual threat, you know, and then you got to throw Mahomes in there. Herbert could make his way back in there if we see Keenan Allen healthy. Um, you know, we'll talk about the Chargers here in a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, I love Justin Fields. Like, he he looks good really with the passing game again he only had 21 pass attempts out there and that's not a surprise his season high pass attempt total is 28 otherwise he's had 23 pass attempts or less in every single game this year so Cole Komet doesn't get the touchdowns we are seeing the dud Chase Claypool it's another one Dwayne how come TJ Hawkinson goes to Minnesota can play 90% snaps the first game there and then we still have to look at some of these other players Claypool included that just seemingly are not learning the playbook or they're not being put in a position to learn the playbook I believe he was fifth in routes again. Still wide receiver five, Dwayne. Do you have those numbers? Uh, third. He, third. He, yeah, so still. 91% to, to Mooney, so still locked in. That's clearly the number one. Equinamia St. Brown. Can't stop those St. Brown boys. 71%, 53% to Chase Claypool. So you know, it, that's his highest that he's been in three okay. weeks. So that that's the silver lining. The the part that's like, you know, not as cool as you would just think he'd be at like by 70, 80 percent by now, especially when they give up a second round draft pick for him. So good uh, shout by MJ in the YouTube chat. Always appreciate you guys tuning in with us here on uh, Sunday evening. But yeah, Komet, I will say, for, you know, Dwayne, we've called him. I've called him a mid tight end plenty of times. My I, I got to be careful with that now, Dwayne, because that one handed catch Komet had down the seam taking the contact. My goodness, that was yeah, the best play catch. I've ever seen him have of his career. Great job, Cole Komet. Final note here, this was the first game of Khalil Herbert out of the picture on IR, and we accordingly saw Dave Montgomery with an elite 79% snap rate, 17 carries, and four targets. So still had some Tristan Ebner going on, but he wasn't able to make much of his opportunities out there. And we also did have a brief time where Montgomery was being checked for a concussion, but he was able to clear that and get back out there. So, man, Dwayne, with this usage, I mean, this week, I think I had him RB 14, RB 13, like he's going to be a very reasonable RB one moving forward. Cause as much as this bears offense, yeah, we have the usual, you know, dual threat quarterback. And we talked in the past about how that's going to limit sometimes your opportunities near the goal line. They're going to scramble instead of checking it down, but the bears are unique in that they're so damn run heavy. I mean, coming in this week, they were still fourth in carries for running backs, not even including fields. And I don't think that's going to be changing after Montgomery got 17 in this one. So Montgomery, it's one of those, things where him i think him and james connor are pretty close to being the same player right now like no we're not in love with their skills i understand montgomery probably is going to be having many 70 yard touchdown runs anytime soon but damn it Dwayne, 20 plus touches or 20 plus touches and if you had that on your plate pretty tough to keep you out of at worst that top 15 conversation yeah and that's where he's going to be he's 20 plus touches i, I mean he's 
pretty much an every down back. There was not any certain area where Ebner was like relieving him and taking things away. Ebner just rotated in a little bit. And like you mentioned, you know, Montgomery was hurt for a little bit. Um, I thought you hit it all. Like you got the run heavy offense. Um, you know, and he had a 24% target share today. That was second on the team. Darnell Mooney was first at 29% and he and Cole Komet were tied at 24%. So, um, and again, in a run heavy os- offense, that's four targets, but still like the percentages, like if for some reason the bears need to throw more, we've seen Montgomery be, you know, involved in passing attacks in the past. So it was nice to see him get a few targets, but I don't, I don't see a way he's not between 20 and 25 touches for at least the next three games while Khalil Herbert is out. Eagles took down the Colts in a squeaker 17 to 16. Indy did cover as six and a half point dogs under cash with ease at 45 and a half. So this was probably, I, I wouldn't even say probably this was the worst the Eagles have looked on offense all season long, only had three points through the first 45 minutes of action. They finished with a season low 17 points. No Dallas Goddard out there. We did have both Devonte Smith and AJ Brown on the injury report. I mean, hell miles Sanders, Boston Scott, they couldn't even average four yards per carry. And then you look up at the end, the game, Dwayne, you have Jalen Hurts still with 24.3 fantasy points. So a little bit more of a throwback, I think, to last season's success for Jalen Hurts because he got so much of the success on the ground, 86 rushing yards, and that score that ended up giving them enough for the victory. So, hey, when is a win is a win? They're not all going to be pretty out there. And at the end of the day, the Eagles are 9-1. and one. I will say, though, Dwayne, it's been a while since we've seen this passing game just look like super beastly. I get it. We had the three touchdown AJ Brown game against the Steelers. That's actually, actually though, the only time since week three we've seen this group even reach 220 yards, man. Their team passing yards the last seven games. 191, 218, 132, 290 against the Steelers, then 217, 170, and 173. So I'm not here to doubt AJB. You guys all know that. Devontae Smith looked fantastic out there. I mean, I felt like those, his, those comeback routes he had going, they could have just kept throwing those every play and probably been fine. But with Hurts, Dwayne, it is one of those things where we've seen him put up the 300-plus yard games when kind of given all the volume to be able to do that. That said, this still has been a bottom 10 passing offense this season. Removing Dallas Goddard out of the equation, I think, helps a lot because now we don't have to worry about those three, those three players. But is, again, just the lack of a super high ceiling passing game enough to scare you at all? Because, again, it's a number two ranked scoring offense coming in. So we got to fight to find like anything wrong here. But I was surprised to see the lack of overall passing production for the better part now of the last two months. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm not that worried about it. Like, it, just because they score so much, and like, there's just so many passing offenses, passing offenses that don't hit big numbers in the passing game anymore. That's just what the coverage has done. Like, I was looking at the data, like over, year over year, like over the last ten years. Like, these are the worst quarterback passing grades in the last ten years. You know, it's the most yards, you know, being thrown before the sticks instead of after the sticks. Yards per attempt is one of the lowest that we've seen in the last ten years. So. It's just something that's plaguing the whole league. So if you've got an offensive scoring, I really don't mind it. Um, you know, with Dallas Goddard out, we know we've got at least more three more games of that. 39% target share today to Devonta Smith, 30% to A.J. Brown. So it's really condensing around those two players. There's not anyone else that they're really going to be able to get that involved in the passing game. So I think it does help those two guys for the next few weeks. You know, if you're trying to get into your fantasy playoffs, maybe your first game or two of your playoff season, it's going to be really nice with Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown. I think right now you're looking at A.J. Brown being, you know, he's in the wide receiver one. He's already been a wide receiver one, but due to the things you're talking about, I've graded him more as like a high-end wide receiver two, low-end wide receiver one. But right now in this offense without Goddard, I think he's, you know, you could argue that he's more of a mid-range wide receiver one and that Devonta Smith is more of a high-end wide receiver two until you get Dallas Goddard back. 
even though they may throw for 225, if it's just really split up mostly between those two, it's fine. And we know we're still going to get games where Jalen Hurts goes off. Like some of this stuff is just randomness, you know, with how we get several games in a row that may not look that great. So I, I'm not going to worry about it too much. If they stop scoring points, right, it could become really problematic. Same general usage out of the backfield there. Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, Kenneth Gamewell. Again, it was just disappointing we didn't see more out of this offense, but it was coming off a short week, you know, on that Monday night game. You know, Colts defense, they don't have Shaquille Leonard in the middle anymore. But hey, Jeff Saturday, you know, coaching on Sundays now, Dwayne doing his thing out there, getting the boys to play some inspired football, I guess. So yeah, not, not making too many big takeaways for this Eagles offense, fantasy-wise, other than be, you know, I think feeling good about heightened ceilings for AJB and Devontae Smith here moving forward on the other side of the ball the Indianapolis Colts do we still have a workhorse role for Jonathan Taylor Dwayne no we don't and it's really freaking annoying on the last drive of the game can't have Jonathan Taylor out there gotta have Deion Jackson and okay let's pretend like Deion Jackson let's go in this fairy tale world Dwayne where Deion Jackson is like a better pass protector than Jonathan Taylor who knows like the offense better can't you figure out a way how to have your single best player on the field when the game matters most I mean I'm not even trying to insult Deion Jackson here it's just it, it just sucks man so thoughts on Taylor because again it's fine like he went out there at 84 rushing yards and a touchdown we're gonna start him every week but I thought we were looking at that 90% usage rate and all of a sudden we could maybe get the sort of like overall RB1 stretch run that would make everyone you know forget about kind of the first half turmoil but man with this usage for Jonathan Taylor it goes back to kind of what we called him a little bit last year where it wasn't that different last year in 2021 from what someone like Antonio Gibson was experiencing before McKissick was out the picture the difference was taylor was on a top 10 scoring offense and he was making the absolute most out of his touches but went out there today 3.8 yards for carry against what's been a really bad run defense i know they just got their reinforcements and sue and linval joseph and stuff but i'm not feeling nearly as optimistic moving forward about taylor right now Dwayne, as we did seven days ago yeah i mean i don't want to overreact like obviously he's still like in your top five you know but you're, you're right like uh, i don't get it Deion Jackson, a guy that's been on your practice squad for how long? And all of a sudden he's got to play your two minute offense. And they and it was significant. They had they had 10 two minute offense snaps today. And they all went to Deion Jackson. So Jonathan Taylor, you know, 82% of the rushing attempts. So he's still going to get all that. I, I mean, I thought Jonathan Taylor was on his way to having a monster day again. Like in the first drive, he first had first drive looked awesome. Yeah. 50 yards, probably. He was like 50 yards and a touchdown the first drive. And then things went sideways on him. He still had 26 opportunities opportunities today overall. 22 rushing attempts, four targets. So I still think he's going to be a 20 to 25, you know, touch type player. But we were really, to your point, moving into the realm. Well, wow, like down the stretch, this could be a 30 touch per game player, like which would make him the RB1 overall. Like you would just on volume alone. Plus, when you look at his talent profile, like it would be hard, like to not just grade him ahead of CMC and everyone else. So it is disappointing. He's still going to be good, um, but it does look like the Colts are going to do this silly thing, um, you know, where they're going to use Deion Jackson. And look, I even got it with Naheem Hines. The dude was is basically yeah. a receiver. Like he's he's a great matchup against linebackers, things like that. So with Naheem Hines, I just excused it because I was like, well, he's really good. He's a great passing down back. Of course, they're going to use Naheem Hines. Like Deion Jackson, again, I'm like you. I'm not trying to down the guy, but you're just forcing it. You're forcing it to force it. And even pass blocking grades today, I know it's a small sample, but Jonathan Taylor was better than Deion Jackson in pass blocking grades. So I don't, I don't know. We'll see what happens here. But my guess is they probably will use Deion Jackson in this role as uh, much as we may hate it.
again, the first four weeks of the season, Deion Jackson played two total offensive snaps. So you're <laughs> telling me that this much has changed where now you actually want Deion Jackson on the field and fourth and ball game instead of Jonathan Taylor. That's all I'm trying to say here, yeah. Dwayne. The one good news, though, with this new look Colts offense is having Matt Ryan back under center because that has helped us get Michael Pittman looking right back into that top 15 wide receiver that he really was before we had to have the Sam Ellinger experience come in and mess everything up. Six catches, 75 yards in this one. Only had seven targets. We actually had Alex, Alec Pierce have more total targets. But you look at it now, man. Michael Pittman in games and Matt Ryan, his receptions, 9, 8, 3, 5, 13, 6, 7, and 6. So really consistent. Maybe not quite a Monroe St. Brown sun god level, but really has been good for Pittman to see that he has, again, this ability to work more in the underneath intermediate areas of the field, even when they're not hitting some of those big passes down the field. And the same thing goes for Paris Campbell. Another five catches and 67 yards. Coming into this game, his last three with Matt Ryan under center, PPR finishes wide receiver 10 wide receiver five and wide receiver 11. I don't even know if he's going to be cracking top 24 with today's, but that's still another good performance, Dwayne. So moving forward, assuming Matt Ryan is still going to be under center. And I know we can't assume a lot with what's going on in Indy these days, but I, I'm, I'm feeling fairly confident that's going to be the case. Michael Pittman, solid wide receiver two moving forward. And Paris Campbell, all of a sudden full PPR, pretty consistent upside wide receiver three. What say you? All right, yeah. I'm going to take out upside. I got a little carried away there. No, no, I think he is an upside <laughs> wide receiver three. I mean, that's what he is. Like, I I didn't understand how the industry had Paris Campbell ranked so low going into today's game. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, people had him in the 40s. I'm like, if you watch what's happened with Matt Ryan? Yeah, I mean, and like, he was just an easy overbet today. Paris Campbell, like, even at his 67 yards, he crushed, like, what Vegas had him as. Vegas still hasn't reacted yet either because of what you mentioned. The Sam Ellinger data is still lingering in the – in the last few weeks, right? So it makes that average look lower than it should be. The biggest takeaway here, though, um, is Alec Pierce out there for 89% of the routes. That was slightly above Paris Campbell today, but a 26% target share. You mentioned it. He was slightly ahead of Michael Pittman. So he is a guy that many people cut. And to your point, the same thing with us talking about Matt Ryan and the fact that he is helping out Michael Pittman. He's helping out Paris Campbell there is a chance that Alec Pierce could find some relevance here down the stretch because they are willing to throw the ball more. And when the ball is thrown, it's just better than what it was with Sam Ellinger. I'm, I'm, we're not saying Alec Pierce is going to be a world beater, but at this point in the season, like there's not a lot on the waiver wire. So, I mean, Alec Pierce is definitely a name that you're going to be able to consider this week. Eight targets, three receptions, 28 yards this weekend. He did make a real nice contested catch down the sideline, just couldn't quite get those feet down and bounds. So I know the performance wasn't great out there on the box score, was pretty close to getting another one. The only other sheesh from this game, Miles Sanders drew like a 40-yard defensive pass interference when he somehow got loose deep downfield, unfortunately was underthrown. Best case, 67-yard touchdown, but as we know, not necessarily something with Miles that we can always expect for him as a receiver. Next game, Dwayne, I did not get a chance to watch too much of this one. It was not on my one of my three screens where I have the full games going on during the day. And Red Zone, yeah, I don't blame them for not showing me much of it. Patriots 10, Jets 3. Patriots covered as 3.5-point favorites. The under cash at 38.5. Game-winning punt return touchdown with under 10 seconds left. 84 freaking yards. First punt return touchdown of the season. Did they maybe miss, you know, a little block in the back there at the end? Yes, probably. And if you're a Jets fan, that's very fair to be pissed off about. But I think the rest of us were put out of our misery getting this one out of the picture. Because, man, Dwayne. 
Mac Jones, what the hell, man? What has happened to this dude? Like, I'm going to pull out the actual stats tomorrow in my QB article and just really get into how much worse he and some of these other second-year quarterbacks have been last year compared to this year. But he took six sacks out there. Just And it's not the first time all season he hasn't been able to get much of anything going. It started out rough. He started to flash a little bit against the Ravens, and then he got hurt. Since then, man, just far too often looking like a deer in headlights. And I admit this Patriots passing game isn't overflowing with a bunch of wide receivers and tight ends that I think we would call awesome options. But when it's the same group of guys that he had a lot more success with last year, I struggle to, you know, completely put the blame on them. So with Mac Jones, I mean, hell, Jacoby Myers, our guy Jacoby Dwayne couldn't even get more than four catches, 52 yards, which goes to show you how he still got an okay floor, even in bad situations like this. But man, other than Jacoby and Ramondre Stevenson, like at this point in the year, do you expect anybody else to emerge out of what's turned out to be a pretty terrible Patriots offense? No, I think that's it. I think right. I will say Damian Harris, you know, was I was a little worried because he was more involved early on. He started the game. He played the first drive, and I was like, oh, my God, like what's happening? Are we losing Ramondre? The Ramondre still came through. 62% of the rushing attempts versus 28% for Damian Harris. 78% of the snaps to 24%. I'll be honest, I was surprised when I pulled the data tonight to look at it. I was, I was, I was just dreading. I was like, I thought I was – gonna see 55 45 i was like you i didn't see a ton of the game it wasn't on but when it was on it was damian harris like every time that the red zone would put it on i was like damian harris is on the field but um all the passing down work still went to Ramondre, 100 long down distance 100 the two-minute offense and he came through with a 22 target share so it wasn't a great efficiency day on the ground with 15 carries for 26 yards the six targets six receptions for 56 yards that can always come through for you, and that keeps you from really having you know, that bust kind of week. 14.2 PPR points today for Stevenson um, and Damian Harris at this point, Ian. I think we can just completely lock it in that, like, man, it's, it's really hard to even consider having him in your lineup, right? If he's only going to have 25, 30% of the rushing attempts, that kind of – he's really moved. He's RB4, right? He's in the RB4 territory now. Which is weird. He looked great out there. I mean, coming yeah, out of good. the bye, I just thought that it probably was going to be more split. I was very surprised about the snaps, uh, as you said as well. So, yeah, as long as Ramondre keeps that receiving work, it doesn't even matter if we start to see the early down stuff slip a little bit. Like, okay, it will matter a couple ranks here and there. But at the end of the day, he's just been so good as a receiver. PFF second highest grade running back behind only Christian McCaffrey himself in PFF receiving grade. If you look at the only running backs this year with at least 75 PPR points, only coming from receiving production. Austin Eckler, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Letty Fournette, Joe Mixon, Aaron Jones, Antonio Gibson, and your boy, Ramondre Stevenson. But yes, the start today, while it was a good game from Ramondre, gotta beat Marcus Jones with that punt return. So great day to be great. Marcus, on the Jets side of the ball, 100 three total yards on 49 God. plays 2.1 yards per play this was a post-game interview they asked the head coach robert sala hey coach you had seven possessions and two total yards in the second half his response it was dog shit they even asked zach wilson like did he feel like the offense let the defense down you know only allowing three points they're out there and he gave a quick no and it seemed like that actually ended the answer there, Dwayne, like I'm usually, I've tried to give the guys the benefit of the doubt here. And even with that, man, like, I don't think we've heard a bunch of other stories about him being this bad teammate or anything. I'm not trying to get up here, you know, freaking midnight sitting here in my office trying to come down how high and mighty like I have any idea what's going on in the Jets locker room but I just think a lot of times when you see something viral like that there's like a big other piece to it and there didn't really seem to be there 
I don't know, man. This team's still six and four. It seems pretty damn clear that for 2022, Zach Wilson might not be the best, you know, guy to have out there in terms of if they want to go and try to win these games. That said, they drafted the man second overall. I think you're going to be better off in the long term future of your franchise if you find out this year if he's your guy or not. I mean, what would do you think Zach Wilson is going to start every single game the rest of the year if uh, he doesn't get injured? Because, man, after this one, it was Bill Belichick and the Patriots. So, I would say, yes, he starts the rest of the games, but I don't feel good about the offense if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, I think he probably does. I mean, I don't know. You know, there's the constant kind of back and forth that you have to have between like a head coach and a general manager, right? That This is the perfect example of that kind of conversation. My gut is that Sala would probably like to go with the other quarterback, but the GM is probably like, no, man, we got to see what we have. And and both guys are right, right? I get why both 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 guys have a reason for why they want to do what they want to do. And I don't know, Sala may not think that. Like, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but like, those are the kind of dynamics that are going on. So we'll we'll have to wait and see. I, I've seen enough from Zach Wilson. I I don't need to see anymore. Like I'm done. Like I'm out. I just yeah. I I don't you know. Uh, I try, I went back a couple weeks ago. Like I didn't, I, I didn't get to your point. See a lot of this game, but he's a guy that I actually did go back and watch a lot because I just felt that I just had super negative vibes around him, and I was like, he, Maybe he doesn't even wrong. have highs. He doesn't even have highs, Dwayne. I, I know. I, I I tried, but you know, when I get like a certain take on a player, like I will go back and watch them more and try to make sure, right? And I'll do it both ways. Like if I'm really high on a player, like I did it with a Monra too, because we haven't been getting the touchdowns. I'm like, am I just too, am I just too high on a Monra? Am I too low on Zach Wilson? Like that's how I pick the guys that I'm going to go watch. And even when watching it all, I was just like, I couldn't really find much to get excited about. It really just matched the data, which was telling me this is not good. They probably just need to move on. Now I get it. You got a super high pick, you know, invested. One thing I will say is, you know, we have seen Wilson. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we've seen him come through. And even though he may not really look good from an NFL perspective, perspective, like put up the counting stats, we've had a few games where he's done that. And so at this point, that's all I want. Like, just give me enough that we can actually use what Garrett Wilson. <laughs> that's really it. Like, give us enough to use Garrett Wilson. I don't think you can use any other piece of this offense right now. Maybe Tyler Conklin, you know, just because tight end's such a mess, you could use him here or there, but it's, it, it's a it's a disaster, man. Their O line's been banged up, and he has the single yeah. biggest drop off in yards per attempt when pressured versus when kept clean this season. So that has not been a perfect marriage for helping get the most out of him. But when I say he, he creates have- a ton of his own pressure too, though, like when you watch yeah. him, like there's zero pocket pocket awareness. Like that's the thing that sticks out to me the most about Zach Wilson. When I watch him, I'm like, God, like just ram like he's got an Oculus on his head. He's just like you know ramming into the defenders. I don't get it. And he'll, again, man, I threw the comp out there like a month ago, but he plays like a blocked out Patrick Mahomes, man. When he's just out there in the pocket, you see him evade the pressure. Like he, you see the athleticism and mobility and all that stuff, but like the no, no, yes throws are like, no, no, God, no, like stop basically. So again, I love the way like he wants to theoretically play football, but man, we're just not getting anything. And it is unfortunately tanking the fantasy value of everyone involved in the passing game. Look, Previous two games, Garrett Wilson was able to put up some big numbers, so we're not completely shutting the book there. But as we know, unfortunately, in this offense, we can have floor games where you only get two catches for 12 yards on just three targets against the freaking secondary. He went for over 100 yards against less than a month ago, so hate to see that. What's even worse, though, Dwayne, is what they're doing now with this running back room coming out. I mean, uh, yeah, they had a bye last week, so you would think more time than ever. Maybe maybe uh, James Robinson still needs to learn the playbook, Dwayne. We still got... You 
you know, the playbook learning going on here. But my God, man, not a 50-50 split. Michael Carter, 45% snaps. Ty Johnson, 33% snaps. No longer just this 5 to 10% snap guy. Actually, unironically playing ahead of James Robinson. We don't have any bye weeks this this week, Dwayne. Now, I do look at the Jets. They're playing the Bears. They're playing the Bears this next week. Like, my God, we're best freaking defense we can really play against in fantasy right now because we also know fields is gonna you know keep the scoring up potentially too like is michael carter gonna be a top 30 back uh man (laughs) at best this is terrible three-way split like it's the worst possible thing a bad offense with a three-way split you just don't want to be a part of it and at least before michael carter was getting the passing down work well ty johnson came out and took that over today and they flipped this stuff around all year so i'm not saying it's gonna stick it could be michael carter next week on the passing downs, but I don't know. That's the point. Like I can't tell you what to do really with Michael Carter. Um, 35% of the rushing attempts to James Robinson. Um, it's just, dude, it's, it's not good. It's not good. Elijah Moore did play the slot today. Ian, Got oh. the, he was out there 57% route participation. He did see targets. He had a 22% target share today. How about that? Elijah Moore is alive. Denzel Mims, dude. Yeah, I'm about to say he had the most targets, <laughs> but Hey, Finally, for Denzel Mims, former second-round pick out of Baylor. And, you know, hey, look, uh, I, he wasn't able to do much with it, but it's like nice to see him getting a few targets. Hey, what was my guy Jeff Smith at? He's still getting some run, right? <laughs> Jeff Smith, yeah, 3% route participation. Uh, Bra- just just behind Braxton Berrios, who they had to sign in the offseason. He was at 10%. I always got to make they, sure. They have, really, they have a good receiver room. Like, this could be – you know, they don't even have Corey Davis right now. So that's what's frustrating about it. It's like, you know, that this could actually be a pretty good passing offense. The problem is Corey Davis is going to come back and look in those first three games we have weeks four through six with all these guys healthy. And then also Zach Wilson under center Garrett had the most targets, but Corey Davis actually had the most receiving yards before he got injured. He was this team's leading receiver. Unfortunately, when he comes back, it's going to make life that much tougher for us. Garrett Wilson, fantasy managers, and even the occasional Tyler Conklin streamer out there. Saints took down the Rams 27 to 20, covering us two and a half point favorites. Game total easily cashed over 39. So Alave boomed, was really good to see. You know, had that dud last week, hadn't scored a touchdown since week five. We had actual people doubting if the all-time receiving touchdown leader from the Ohio State University could find the end zone. Dwayne, not only did he do it, he did it right in Jalen Ramsey's face, ran straight past him for a 53-yard score. Ramsey gave up another touchdown to Jawan Johnson, too. He's getting awfully good at throwing his hands up in the air as soon soon as someone else scores on him. So hasn't been the easiest situation for Jalen or anyone else with the Rams, but man, definitely not becoming, you know, someone to fear in fantasy land. Hopkins had most of his production last week, go up against Ramsey. Just hasn't been a 2022 to remember for, again, one of the best corners really of the past decade. I do appreciate I don't know if you guys have been catching on to the LeBron James meme going around about how LeBron has just had, tendencies uh the storytelling to really make it sound like that he knows everything that's gonna happen and you know every time his uh, friends say something he's always coming back with oh yeah i used to say that and ramsey finally called him out on the show yeah, saying that. that you know what they've been saying bron that you uh you be capping out there so i do appreciate that from ramsey but he did not back it up on the field unfortunately but just with chris alave man and look 
Kenneth Walker has been great. Damian Pierce, not today, but generally has been great. But I think Chris Olave, man, he better be in everyone's top three, four rookie of the year because what he's done in terms of being different than past rookies, I think is what's so special about this year. If you look at it, since 2015, all wide receivers with at least 50 targets as rookies, number one in yards per out run, A.J. Brown. Number two, Justin Jefferson. Number three, Jamar Chase. And number four, literally only .03 yards per out run behind Jamar Chase is Chris Olave. So he's seventh on the season. He's PFF's ninth highest grade receiver. I mean, Dwayne, he's like not the most toolsy like he's fast but you know he ran that 428 and we found out that was like a bad time at first i mean we had to hear about his lack of uh, missed tackles in college like he's not this dk metcalf just alpha dog guy that's gonna you know make you just instantly realize just how damn good the guy is but the numbers are telling us that he's one of the best rookie wide receivers we've seen in quite some time or at least he's on the same level as all the other guys we know that are that great chris Olave, someone that i've still been keeping you know in that upside wide receiver two range not worrying about a dud or two we've had and hey we did get jarvis landry back in the picture these past few weeks and the targets haven't been quite on um as overwhelming to Olave's side but man Rookies got game, Dwayne, and in this offense, no Michael Thomas coming back. They don't have another guy to really stretch the field the same way he can with all due respect to Rashad Shahid out there. He's made some good plays over the weeks. But Chris Olave, man, I think we're continuing to look at the rest of the season upside wide receiver too. Yeah, and if you ever had Jameis Winston under center, it'd probably be a low-end wide receiver one. Yeah. like Because you would be getting these 100-yard games like more often, and your ceiling would be 180, right? I mean, Andy Dalton came through in this game in particular, but – you know, Andy will have a good game here or there, but everything has to be built on anticipation for him. Whereas with Jameis, you know, he can extend the play longer. He can uncork the big throw. Um, you know, both quarterbacks have their strengths. So I'm not just going to sit here and act like Jameis is this just complete, you know, you know, completely better than Dalton in every way. But for fantasy purposes, he would be better for Chris Olave. Um, so, yeah, I, I've, I've talked about Olave several times over the last few weeks, even in the utilization report. I mean, everything you're saying, man, he's like he's a really good player. People are not giving him enough credit. Um, I think you, you know, kind of lining up the guys that you just stacked them up against, like tells the story of really how good this guy has been. And I do think part of it is because of what you said, like he doesn't, he doesn't look the physical part, right? Like AJ Brown or like DK Metcalf or even Jamar Chase. But when you look at the finished product on the field, um, yeah, he wins in different ways than those guys, but that's, that's, that's okay. Every receiver can win in their own way. We want the guys that can win in all, all facets of the game. Alave, I don't know if he's ever going to be like this great contested catch guy, but I don't know that it matters. Like he gets open. He has good run after the catch. He can beat you over the top. So while he may not be a five tool player, he's probably a four. And so I, I, I mean, I love Chris Alave. I think he looks great. I think it's hard to say that walking away from this season, throw away everything you thought about all the rookie wide receivers. Like there's, I don't see any way you don't rank him as the number one dynasty prospect, even out of the class that we had this year, which has been, which has shown to be pretty good. Like some of them have quarterback challenges, but it's been a good class. Juwan Johnson, fifth touchdown in as many weeks. He does have more PPR fantasy points than one Taysom Hill this season. Continues to be a quality tight end, too, who's on more waiver wires and not with so much attention, usually going to Taysom. We did see a bit of a usage switch for Taysom out here. He had nine carries, and he also did have a target in addition to three pass attempts. I believe his snaps actually were over 40% for the first time this season, Dwayne. So 
My issue with Taysom Hill in the offseason was I thought he was two injuries away from ever having a chance to have the true cheat code quarterback that we can actually play at tight end role that a lot of people were making it out to be. Because I don't think a lot of people even realized Dalton was the backup on this team until we got closer to the season. All that said, though, I don't know if I don't know what the deal is with Jameis. I kind of side with what he's saying, where it's kind of bullshit that, you know, the injury yeah. is basically what's taking him out of the picture. So I don't know, Dwayne, talking to Kevin, you know, um, I think he's brought up a good point where Dennis Allen and just having this Saints team maybe have a little bit more of a I don't want to say defensive identity because they've been worse on defense this year than past years, but I don't think, you know we're seeing the coaching staff be as willing to deal with the Jameis experience. So is Taysom Hill someone that moving forward, I mean, this is a four and seven saints team. I mean, if he gets the chance to be the quarterback, all of a sudden he's going to be like a top three tight end. Cause it's so messed up how we can't change these things, but Taysom starting to look like a decent lottery ticket, Dwayne. There's not a lot of, a lot of lottery tickets out there. Yeah. I mean, he's mostly rostered at this point, but I mean, if he's been dropped, it's, and even if he doesn't become that, um, I know he hasn't come through in the last few weeks as far as his box score, but like his utilization has been as good as ever. 36% of the rushing attempts today. You mentioned a season high in snaps today, 42%. Um, you know, he's been getting a few targets. He got one today, really over the last four weeks, like his utilization has been far better than early in the season. When we were getting the big, the big boom game. So um, it's not like they were coming all the time, but his upside is still the same. Like you could still have a Taysom Hill game where you're going to get 25 points and like the floor wasn't, it's not terrible. Like today he gave you 7.6 PPR points, um, you know, which is not bad at a tight, that's going to beat a lot of tight ends and the boom is still there. And then to your point, if for some reason, this staff is just completely out on Jameis. And if something happened to Dalton and it went to Taysom Hill, then yeah, absolutely. Like he's going to be a top three tight end in that scenario. Still only 38% rostered in ESPN leagues. I agree with you guys scoffing at that because when I hear this stuff, I'm like, well, how come I'm in the 60, you know, 1.7% of mm -hmm. leagues where this dude isn't available? But yeah, something to keep in mind here down the stretch. One of those things we got to remember, you know, separate what we want to see happen in fantasy land versus what we think actually will. So wouldn't be shocked if, again, Andy Dalton coming off a great game here, 21 for 25, 260, and three touchdowns. Certainly not getting benched here, but seeing that usage increase seeing how close they were. I mean, we had to get the, you know, head coach letting us know this was still going to be Dalton under center this week. I don't think it's a given that they go to Jameis before they go to Taysom. Now, less, much less fun things to talk about over in Los Angeles. Unfortunately, we do have Matthew Stafford back in the concussion protocol, and that led to Bryce Perkins actually getting the chance to go out there and run around a little bit. Was Walford out, demoted? What what I miss here? Well, Walford was hurt coming into this game. Okay, okay. He got hurt last week at the end of the game. Just yeah. making sure. So we can't exactly expect if Stafford's yeah. going to be out to have this, you know, dual threat talent here with right. Bryce Perkins. So with Walford, I mean, look, this is already an offense that we haven't been able to trust at all. I mean, they are dead last. That's right. 32nd out of 32 teams. No one is better. How many ways can I dress this up? In yards per play at just 4.8. They're 27th in EPA per play. 29th ranked scoring offense. I mean, McVay's worst Rams, Rams team. We thought the base was that 2020 Ram squad last year, Jared Goff, they were still even 22nd in scoring. So truly is a new low for the Sean McVay led Rams. And Hey, we got the Allen Robinson, you know, red zone touchdown, four catches, 47 yards. I do think he can be a throw up in your mouth, you know, wide receiver three play. You can give you these sort of stat lines here moving forward. We had two, two Atwell catch, you know, his first career touchdown, 62 yards. He is indeed fast. Did he get more opportunities after catching that touchdown? Of course not. So we can't, you know, rely on that moving forward, but Dwayne, the passing game is what it is. I think the one spot on this team. Well, okay. 
Tyler Higby getting his role. Do you want to talk about him for a sec? Because we have had concerns about Higby being used as more of a glorified tackle here in recent weeks. Wasn't so much the case now that Cooper Cup is out of the picture. Yeah, he had been blocking a lot, and we we would barely see his route participation even get to 60%, even though his snaps were fine, right? His snaps would be 85 90%, and we were seeing route participation in the 60% range because he was having to block so much. That was not the case this week. Um, what was interesting is I tried to find out who was blocking, and apparently they just said, F it. And they just let the offensive line block because it wasn't the running backs. It wasn't one. It wasn't uh, Skoranek. It wasn't another tight end. They just said F it. And so they let Tyler Higby get in a route 31% target share. So he was by far the lead guy, you know, and I think he's the guy that you get, that you're going to, you have to put your chip on going forward because we saw it early in the season, right? It was really just cup and all about Higby. Then Higby had to start blocking more and that's what changed everything for him. His targets per route run never really changed. He was still getting a high target rate. He just didn't have enough of the route. So yeah, Tyler Higby is clearly like the winner from the Cooper Cup thing, which we got, you know, word this morning that it will be six to eight weeks on Cooper Cup. So if you got him in your IR and for some reason this is the tough thing, are we just saying sorry, Cooper? Well, I think it just depends. Like, uh, like over in an FFPC league like that, where you have maybe a chance he could come back for your last game of the season, and you would love to put him in. Like, if you're in a race for you know 500k or a million bucks, yeah. like that kind of scenario. But those are also 20 player rosters, right? So it's like you're going to cut Cooper Cup to pick up what Khalif Raymond. <laughs> like, it's easier. Right. But if you're playing in a league like most people listening to this show, yeah, I'm probably moving on from Cooper Cup. I probably I am. If you can keep them, great. Do but it. if it's, yeah, don't be costing yourself like a chance to start a player or something in a week just to still have Cooper Cup. Just it sucks how this has gone down. It is what it is at this point. Yeah, I mean, if and, you could get a, if you could get a, a guy like a, a no miss kind of player like Kadarius Tony, who's never hurt, right? <laughs> <laughs> too soon, Dwayne. <laughs> too, too soon. I know. Have, we haven't have, even got there yet, and it's too soon. Ha haven't gotten to get, haven't got my wine in me yet. I don't want to <laughs> talk about this yet. All right. Last thing here in Los Angeles, because again, we're feeling okay now about Tyler Higby in the passing game. Now, my usual process preparing for this pod, I got my handy dandy show sheet here, which has a bunch of junk. And by junk, I mean well researched fantasy football notes. But the other thing I do join after that is I just go get the snap counts and the carries and targets for the backs to have a point of reference. And in my initial notes, I had maybe, maybe, maybe a Cam, Cam Akers takeover looking at just the carries and the production he was able to get. And then I had to add the no JK in there because I actually saw what was going on behind the scenes. And that was no, not Cam Akers leading the way. Kyron Williams with the 55% snap rate, seven carries and one target. Cam Akers down there at just 39% with his 14 carries. So, hey, touches, we get points for touches. We don't get points for snaps. So the fact that Cam is leading the way in touches is good, but clearly Kyron Williams not going anywhere, and this is only his second game of the season. So to see his snaps go up that high, good to see. And I guess it is good to see Daryl Henderson down and pretty much out of the picture at just 6%. But it just it's a backfield that has had no rhyme or reason all season long, and I don't expect this to necessarily stick, Dwayne. It could, but we haven't known what to expect here all season long. I don't know why this one-week sample size should be any different. Yeah, I mean, well, we've kind of known the last several weeks. It just – it didn't matter that we knew what the roles would be. Um, it was just a bad offense, you know? So, I mean, Daryl Henderson's role has been the same for like three or four weeks. And basically today what happened is Kyron Williams took that over. So Cam Akers is really going to handle more of the rushing attempts, 56% of those today, more of the early down work. Kyron Williams still led the team in the snaps, like you talked about, 55% versus 39%. But Kyron got all the long down and distance, all the two-minute offense. No, 90% LDD. 
100% of the two minute offense. He also got 100% of the snaps inside the five. Let me pop that open. It might have been like one snap. It was, it was just one snap. So <laughs> just ignore snap. that. That's a very small data point. But uh, yeah, so Kyron, it is what it is. And a PPR, you might be able to get something out of him um, if you need it. But man, you're just not, you, you're not going to feel comfortable starting any of these guys. Hey, real quick on the receivers and we can move on. I know it's gross, but just to let people know, uh, we did see Van Jefferson today get to work out of the slot quite a bit. We wondered, could it be Allen Robinson? We know Bennett Skoranek, like he typically works out of the slot as well. He did keep that, but it was Van Jefferson was the guy they moved around more. Allen Robinson was fine, came through with 14.7 fantasy points, but only a 19% target share, Ian. That's basically what we've seen out of him, period. Like even when Cooper Cup was around. So that was a bit disappointing in my opinion. Five targets, four receptions, 47 yards. But Van, if... He gets to play more of that inside role. He's definitely like the player that like, like Bennett Skoranek, like has just not done much. So Van Jefferson, like there would be a chance if he was playing inside from the slot. So that's for you guys playing in like a 14 team leaguer where you've got to start, you've got to start four wide receivers. Then maybe Van Jefferson makes sense to have on your roster. If not, just don't worry about it. It's the freaking Rams. I do echo uh, our guy Drake's thought in the comments where, to me, Daryl Henderson has been the best running back in Los Angeles this entire season. We continue to see Sean McVay really not be all that willing to give him that lead job. And I get it. Sean McVay knows, you know, he'll forget more football than I will ever know in my entire life. That said, hey, Henderson, it is weird that, again, in this back, Cam Akers, like, he quit on the team, right? We can say that. Like, that certainly seemed to be the case there. Like, they weren't happy about it. We don't know the complete specifics, but – to see that happen and then come back and still get chances ahead of Daryl Henderson, I do not get it. But moving on to a more happy situation, we had the Lions take down the New York football giants 31 to 18, covering as three-point dogs. Obviously, the overcashed at 44 and a half. Jamal Williams, not one, not two, three touchdowns. Dwayne had a couple people reach out and note that, you know, you and me were on the early bandwagon here back in the summer. Look, we're not we were not the only ones to be hyping up about Jamal Williams, but the amount of times I did say he could be this year's James Conner, you know, small pat on the back there. Now, he did not get the full down roll without James without DeAndre Swift that I thought he could get a la James Conner, but man, 12 touchdowns before Thanksgiving, we are not complaining about having all the Jamal Williams exposure. That said, even as someone that drafted a shit ton of Jamal Williams, I can still look at this and say, what the hell is going on with DeAndre Swift's usage out here, Dwayne? And we can pull up, you know, his screen from last week where he should have kept running straight instead of cutting him back. And, you know, we can look at his vision here or there and what Deuce Staley, you know, rolled his eyes at him in hard knocks a couple of months ago. But at the end of the day, DeAndre Swift is working behind Justin freaking Jackson at this point. And, you know, to hear Dan Campbell and the entire coaching staff throughout the year, throughout Swift's recovery, talking about him as a focal point of the offense, which he was number one among all running backs in yards per touch going to this week. And we can say that's inflated by his yards per reception. It sure is. Guess what he's also was averaging over six yards per carry coming into this game so i'm getting a little bit annoyed of people trying to almost write off swift's usage as like yeah he's, he's, a, he's a bad running back of course he shouldn't be playing out there because man we have a guy in justin jackson that couldn't find an nfl team until the first week of august this past offseason and he's been working ahead of deandre swift for now three straight weeks since he's come back and sadly enough Dwayne. This is what Craig Reynolds out of the picture on IR. I mean, my God, Swift could be the RB4 in Detroit right now if nothing happens to Reynolds, and I can't believe that that's even a plausible thing. So, look, DeAndre Swift, he got the late touchdown there. Good for him. But at the end of the day, just eight touches in this one. Had a lot of start-sick questions with him, and I think only once they actually say yes uh, this morning. And that's going to be the way it's going to be, Dwayne, until we can see Swift 
work has his own backfields RB2. Yeah, he's in the doghouse. You know, there's some injury stuff going on too. Um, I get it. Like, and, and I, you know, even when Deuce Staley, Deuce Staley broke it down, like you could see in the preseason why he would get upset about certain things where Swift wasn't hitting the hole he should and trying to cut outside. And But to your point, he's by far the best running back still on the team. He's the yeah. most explosive player. Maybe you don't want to use him in every scenario because you can't trust him to get the three yards you need, which is why I think we see Jamal Williams getting a big part of the role that he's getting. But to think that he shouldn't be on the field in passing downs when you're putting Justin Jackson out there, like, come on, man, like, give me a break. You could easily give 50% of the rushing attempts to Jamal Williams, give another 10% to just to Justin Jackson, and leave 30, 40% here for DeAndre Swift and let him have all the passing downs. And we'd be fine. Guess what? He'd be an RB1 on that pro on, on that workload because he's so good at creating big plays. And you still see it in the few plays that he's out there. So, you know, I mean, he's been coming through with fantasy points, you know, with hardly any work. I mean, he gave you 12.2 PPR points today. May not sound like a lot. He had five rushing attempts, yeah. and he had three targets, and he gave you 12 points. We have running backs that get 20 touches that can't get to 12 points. Like, so I, I don't want to hear all that. This is kind of like the people that say Tony Pollard, right, can't be an every down back. Oh, he, can't, he can't do the dirty work. Okay, great. Like, is he as good as a, of a inside runner and short down and distance as Zeke? No. But what are you giving up by not having Tony Pollard on the field, all those other snaps? You know, I would make the same argument right here for DeAndre Swift. Like, I think he should be on the field far more, but we're not in charge, Ian. So it is what it is. Like, the utilization is terrible 31% of the yeah. snaps, 32% route participation, 14% of the rushing attempts. Very hard to start a player like that. He's, he honestly, he's one of the only guys in the NFL that I would still call an RB3 with that utilization profile. Yeah. Just because he keeps coming through on efficiency. Um, but it's definitely not what we signed up for whenever we drafted DeAndre Swift at the end of the first round or the beginning of the second round. I always appreciate Mojo in the chat. And he brings up a good point. Like they could be managing Swift's health for next season. Very true. The problem is we aren't able to recognize when the shift in usage back to a half full-time role. Again, like RB2 status, because since he's come back from the injury, he's been practicing in full at the end of the week. And he's also been able to go out there and not have an injury designation going to the game. All we hear from Dan Campbell is like, yeah, we're hoping it's healthier. We're going to ramp it up. And it's like, he goes out I think there. It's pretty, I think it's pretty clear he's in the doghouse. When you listen to Deuce Staley and you listen to Ben Johnson, you listen to the people calling the plays, they're, yeah, they have a different tone even than Campbell does. It's just weird because, like, okay, I guess Jamal Williams, if I had to pick the – and we talked about this in the offseason, Dwayne, how Swift in the, you know, a lot of the rushing metrics really wasn't popping much. It was more his receiving usage. And the fact he was an explosive runner, we were able to look past that. So I can admit that I think Jamal Williams is probably better at reading his blocks and being this inside runner. But you know what? Like, awesome three touchdowns, man. But when you're giving Jamal 17 touches and he's only getting 3.8 yards per carry, like, are we positive that, you know, running the ball, like, into the teeth of a freaking front? seven up the middle is the best offensive game plan they scored 31 points today so maybe it just is but of course our guy Amon Ross St. Brown had a big reason for that he is getting so damn close to the end zone Dwayne had another reception come just short of the goal line at the one yard line we also have Brock Wright come just short but Jamal Williams was kind enough to take those touchdowns away from them but still with the sun god 
Last 13 games not impacted by injury. Reception totals 10, 8, 8, 9, 8, 8, 8, 9, 6, 7, 4, 10, and 7. One freaking game in 13 games under six receptions, Dwayne. The PPR floor for this dude is the absolute moon at this point. So he only had eight targets today. Like that's only eight targets. Like for any other player, we'd be thrilled about getting eight. But for Amon Ra, it's actually not that many just due to game script. Jared Goff only had to drop back to pass 26 times. Might have had a scramble in there for a couple more. But yeah, great game from Amon Ra. We did get DJ Chark back from IR. What did his usage look like, Dwayne? Uh, only out there 16% or 19% of the routes, but first game back from the high ankle. Um, but I think that's a positive, man. Getting him back, if we could eventually get Jamison Williams back, that, and you know, and honestly, get DeAndre Swift back on the field. We need more playmakers on the field, really, just to help the offense. The, the, the way the game worked today was really the Giants, you know, just did not play very well. And that gave the Lions a lot of what they had. But I would normally expect in a game where the Lions score this many points, Ian, you know, Monra is coming up with a touchdown. But I would just look forward to seeing the Lions with more weapons on the field. And we know Amon Ra is going to earn his targets no matter what, right? So I don't worry about him losing them. I would honestly be fine. Like, give away 5% of his target share and let him score some more touchdowns and a more explosive offense. No worries over here. Over on the other side of the ball, unfortunately, Wandale Robinson breakout performance came with a price. Nine catches, 100 yards, 13 targets, did suffer a knee injury and is feared to have been a serious one. So don't have the official word yet, but this has the feelings of that, you know, Monday, Tuesday update from the national reporters who, my God, Dwayne, it makes me... These guys sit on their ass all damn Sunday and all they do is tweet about like the worst injuries that happen or God forbid there's a QB change. Like just anything else that we're not getting from directly the team accounts already. I don't know. Too much to ask apparently. But with Wandale, it sounds like it is going to be a long-term injury. So Man, at this point, Sterling Shepard out for the season. Kenny Galladay, you know, he got a freaking standing ovation out there today after he caught a 15-yard pass. Um, yeah, obviously, Kadarius Tony now resides in Kansas City. We won't talk about his injury issues. So if you take out all these guys, Darius Slayton's the last man standing. He's been pretty damn good this year, especially in the last six or so weeks. Taking all of them out of the picture, Dwayne, I don't think Slayton's going to be someone we're ever ranking the top 24, but he could be a quality wide receiver three. Yeah, I mean, he's been good. He gave you 13.6 today, and he's had the consistency. So, uh, and look, Slayton is a guy that early in his career, like he showed us a little something. I know he didn't have the draft capital. They brought him other receivers. He fell down the depth chart, stopped getting as many targets, but he has at least proven in the past that he could be a viable target in an NFL offense. And now to see him doing it again, yeah, if there's somebody that you're going to have to trust on this offense, it's him. Richie James did come through. He took over the slot position after we saw Wandell Robinson leave. He's flashed some in the past, but overall, like his his talent profile is not very good. And 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 people kept trying to use, people kept trying to use Richie James this season. It cracked me up. Like people went back to him like four weeks in a row, and he kept doing nothing. Uh, everybody just remembers that island game. I think a Thursday night Francisco. game. Man, yep. that stuff gets stuck in your head. Like there's something to that. Um, but three catches for 48 yards. He did catch the touchdown today. So. We'll see. Not a guy I'm going to be excited about. You're, if you like playing a 14, 16 teamer and we know what your waiver wire looks like in that situation, that's the only situation where I would potentially think about Richie James. Darius Slayton should probably be rostered in mo not an eight team league, but I think in most 12 team leagues, Darius Slayton can be on somebody's roster. I'm not saying I'm not guaranteeing he should be on yours, but there's probably a roster when you look across it, you're like, eh, they could use Darius Slayton. 
coming into t- today, Saquon Barkley's worst finish on the season was as a PPR RB 17. So shame on you. If you're putting him down after this performance, he will be just fine. Continues to have the workload that we all strive to see our fancy RBs having only other note here is just Daniel Jones continuing to be a pretty damn good rushing QB. And he even ended up having 341 passing yards in a game that obviously the giants had to try to come back from. So Another 50 yards and a touchdown for Daniel Jones on the ground on the season. Now, only Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen have more fantasy points um, from purely rushing production. And, man, Daniel Jones is only 5.1 fantasy points behind Josh Allen at this point. So, it's kind of coming to fruition, Dwayne, where we called Daniel Jones this poor man's version of Josh Allen at the back of the draft, and he has really been just that. So, look, we'll see, we've seen the floor here, and there are going to be games where he only has to throw the ball 22 times and he's not able to fall into the end zone but Daniel Jones man continuing to be a little bit better fantasy quarterback than in real life and I also don't want to make this a bash Daniel Jones party we just talked about all those damn injuries he's had at wide receiver so the fact that he was able to even get up to 341 in this game I thought was impressive considering he did lose Robinson I believe before the fourth quarter or pretty shortly into that so any final notes here on Jones in the passing game no, I, I just think to your point, like it, it at least gives you some hope that maybe Jones could be something. I mean, yeah. he showed you a ceiling. He gave you a 341-yard passing day in a game where they had to drop back and throw the ball 68% of the time. You heard a reporter ask Brian Dable last week, what could you guys win a game if you had to drop back and throw the ball 40 times? And he, his answer, he just said, I don't know. Now, they didn't win the game today, but I think being forced into that situation and him being able to come through with the, you know, lack of supporting cast that we really have around him, I think that's a positive, you know, for Daniel Jones. And and so you at least know that there's an upside that if he had to, he might be able to give you a 300-yard passing game because really he's lived off the fact that we know we're going to get 30, 40 yards rushing every week. Maybe you get a rushing touchdown. Maybe he throws one passing touchdown and gets you 200 yards. So he was never a guy you are excited about, but it's like, well, when you add it all up, he's going to be a mid-range QB2, maybe a high-end QB2 for the week, right? He's never really had a terrible floor. Well, now if he's showing some upside, you know, I think that's a positive. Um, I, I don't know that he can sustain it just because of the weapons, but good for him. Yeah, and as Drake brings up, I mean, he's never even had a good group of weapons really throughout his entire career. Shepard can't stay healthy. That was right after OBJ uh, left town to begin with. So there's Slayton. I'm sorry, Daniel Jones. Get the guy some weapons here moving forward. Who says no? Ravens took down the Panthers 13 to three Panthers. did cover as 12 and a half point dogs. The under cash at 41 and a half. This game was three to three going to the fourth quarter, man, not a pretty performance from Lamar Jackson or the Ravens offense. And, that's again one of those things where you said it when we were talking earlier about uh you know Jalen Hurts, Dwayne. Like there's just not that many great passing offenses in the NFL in the year 2022. So please don't take this as Lamar Jackson slander. You guys know I've been all over the La MVP train. He's been my guy for years, but let's face it, hasn't been better than the fantasy QB 10 since week three. I mean, this passing game has one game all season with even 225 passing yards. In weeks one through three, Lamar Jackson accounted for 12 touchdowns. Weeks four through 11, he has seven total touchdowns running and passing. So I had to go fields over Lamar. I mean, it's been that way, I guess, for a couple of weeks now, Dwayne. And I just wonder, like, when are we, if ever, are we getting back to upside QB1 Lamar Jackson days? Because now this is not a two or three week stretch, man. Since week four, the dude hasn't even had a top 10, more better than a top 10 finish, like one through nine. It's not good. And again, even though Demarcus Robinson shout out 128 yards here, Mark Andrews got healthy and, you know, started to do his thing again. 
I'm not sure that Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins coming back are going to all of a sudden reunite this passing game. We still have Patrick freaking Ricard, who's very good at his job, but I don't want our 300-pound fullback running wheel routes down the sideline and me complaining about you know him not catching the wheel route from Lamar Jackson. So again, it's one of those things where I don't know if the scheme is all that great. I think it helped him a lot in 2019. I would have liked to see it maybe evolve a little bit more over the years. And I don't think the overall pass game options are that great. I mean, the fact they came into this season with Rashad Bateman as the wide receiver one, that was already a bit of a stretch. It should be no wonder that you take him out of the picture and things are even worse. So just again, with this offense, we're starting Mark Andrews no matter what. Maybe we can talk a little bit about Demarcus Robinson being more so the, you know, dart throw at wide receiver. But it just sucks that we're not really getting Lamar as that top three, top five quarterback that we drafted him to be. Yeah. And the only thing I would say is he's still the dual threat guy, you know? So, I mean, like if you're in, if you're, league trade deadline has not gone by like i would definitely be trying to get lamar if i don't have a top six guy just because it's very rare to find someone that has the skill set that he has and so the chance is always going to be there that he can just catch fire i can't really tell you for sure why he's struggling so bad obviously you've got you know a lot of injuries rashad bateman you know being out is definitely a part of it but you did get mark andrews back today so um, Andrew's out there 97% of the snaps. So I guess he's fully healthy, led the team. Well, he was second on the team, 26% target share. You already mentioned Demarcus Robinson, 29%. Robinson's one of those guys. I just struggle to get excited. Ian, it's like occasionally at Kansas city, we'd see him do this, like pop up, you know, with a game, but like his overall body of work has never been that impressive. You know, I feel like it could just easily be a rotation back and forth. Same thing with Evan Duvernay, right? He'll come up with a big game. Everybody gets excited. And then today he has a 3% target share. You know, despite being out there 95% of the routes today, they really tried to give Devin Duvernay a full-time role. Isaiah likely was back to a backup role at 44% route participation, 1.1 fantasy points today for Isaiah likely. Not great. The schedule does open up the rest of the way, though, so I do like your potential buy low on Lamar Jackson call if you do have the trade deadlines open there. Next week, they're in Jacksonville. Tough game after that at home against the Broncos, but then Steelers, Browns, Falcons, and Steelers down the stretch, Dwayne. I know the Steelers historically have been good, and we've seen these you know, Steelers-Ravens games be 10-7 to affairs and all that, but if you caught Joe Burrow against that secondary today, even with Fitzpatrick and a healthy TJ Watt out there, I'm just not so sure the 2022 Steelers defense is one worth overly concerning yourself with in fantasy land. On the other side of the ball, disappointing performance from Deontay Foreman. And it just comes down to a game script thing, man. He's had three really good games where he's had 17, 27, and 32 touches and an 18-point win, that back-and-forth overtime loss to the Falcons that they probably should have won, and then also a 10-point win. So guess what? They lose by 21 and they lose by 10. He only touches the ball 9 and 11 times. So looking forward, man. They got Denver next week, who I know isn't going to necessarily put them in this 20-point hole because they can't even score 20 points in 60 minutes, let alone get ahead by 20 points. But after that, they get a bye. Then they're in Seattle. Like, man, I'm not going to feel good about firing up DJ Moore against Patrick Sertan. I, okay, Devontae Adams won. I will give him that. But Devontae Adams wins against anybody. Like, specifically, looking at these next two weeks, Dwayne, no buys. Like, 
Are you feeling good about Deontay Foreman as a top 24 back? We did see Chuba Hubbard now in his second game back a little bit healthier. Go ahead and actually make this snap share a lot closer. 41% for Foreman, 37% for Chuba. And of course, we got to get Raheem Blackshear out there for 20% of the snaps <laughs> as well. So look, Deontay Foreman, I think if we have a spread that's within three points or God forbid the Panthers can be favored in the game. Okay, we're talking. But not having P.J. Walker, sadly, I don't think it's going to really help that reality here moving forward. And again, it's just a really bad team, and we're not seeing them fully commit to Deontay enough for him to be this game script, you know, back that's just independent of all that stuff going on. Thoughts on Deontay moving forward? Because as much as he is the lead back here, as we're seeing, that lead back status can go away in a hurry if they fall behind on the scoreboard. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this in the preseason. It's tough to really get behind early down backs that play on offenses that are not good. Because once they get behind, if you're the early down back, what are you? You're not on the field. And that's what's happening. But it was kind of interesting today because to your point, this game wasn't really out of hand until the end. And even then it was never like they weren't getting blown out, but like it was 3-3 yeah. for forever. And so with Foreman, he still saw 73% of the rushing attempts. So I just look at him and he's a low end RB2, but you just got to add the words boom bust. Yeah. You know, if the game happens to work out for you, you could look up and be like, ah, I just got 25 points out of Deontay Foreman. If it doesn't work out, you get 2.5. I can't really tell you which one it's going to be. It could be anywhere in between those, but at least he has shown you the ceiling. He is good at scoring touchdowns. He's a guy that I like to give the ball once they get inside the five, once they get inside the 10. Um, he's really the only other asset like on the Panthers outside of DJ Moore that you can even possibly think about. Using Terrace Marshall has been good. Terrace Marshall, you know, has played. You know, Look, we got to give the dude credit. Like, I know he struggled his rookie season, but he's shown me enough to think that maybe there's something with Terrace Marshall moving forward. But for Foreman, like, I think, unfortunately, that's what it is. It's going to be really hard to predict, but I don't think it, he's not a guy that each week that this happens, it's going to make me be like, oh, I got to move him down. And then next week, he's going to go off for 25 points. You're going to be like, oh, I got to move him up. And they're going to be like, oh, I got to move him down. I got to move. No, he is what he is. He's a, he's a low end RB2 boom bust. And, and so when he booms, he can be an RB1. When he busts, he can be an RB5. Again, you're an early down back in a bad offense. You can have duds just like we saw from our next focus. Damian Pierce and the Houston Texans lost the Washington Commanders 23 to 10. Washington covered only three point favorites in this one. The under did just barely cash at 41. So let's go ahead and start off with the Texans because it's not going to take long. I mean, Damian Pierce, 10 carries, just eight yards. I did not catch Lovey Smith's post game presser, but I'm sure it's all about how they need to get Damian Pierce going more often because that's just all the dude wants to talk about. David. Mills, pair of picks, five sacks. Uh, again, the team, the organization, they've just really been a dumpster fire for the better part of the past three years. I really struggle every single week to find good things to say about them. And that's not a personal vendetta, just other than them feeding Damian Pierce. I don't know. I mean, Brandon Cooks has been a massive disappointment this year. He had one nice 41-yard catch when he got matched up against linebacker John Bostic somehow. He also caused an interception when Davis Mills hit him in the freaking helmet downfield, and then it popped up in the air and ended up getting picked. So I'm not worried about this with Damian Pierce. It is another reminder that, okay, you know, it's not going to be a 90% snap, 20-touch roll every single week game. But even then, Dwayne, like this was a game that they were down 20 to three going to the fourth quarter. And we still saw Pierce get four of the backfield's five targets. So this one sucked. But if anything, it does show us that 
he can't necessarily overcome how futile the offensive environment is. But the idea of Rex Burkhead, Dario Gumbawale, they really aren't taking any of as much as that pass down work as maybe we worried about, which is something that you've been on uh, noting his, I guess, uh, two minute drill work over the past few weeks. Yeah. Well, what's funny is today you're getting your ass kicked the whole game and you don't use a two minute offense. I, I don't know. I thought that's when you were supposed to use the two minute offense. Just no, I guess not. I don't know. Um, so the Texans are like, we're just going to lose really slowly. We're not going to, we're not going to lose fast. I, I don't know what they're doing, but yeah, it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. So I don't need to belabor it. What you're dealing with, with Deontay Foreman, you're dealing with the same thing here with Damian Pierce, but even in this, because of what you mentioned, getting some of the passing down work on the early downs, they work stuff out to get him, you know, the targets. I mean, he still had 14 opportunities and a really bad game script today where they dropped back to pass 75% of plays. So, like, that's about as bad as it can get for, for Pierce. Now, he only had 4.7 points, but 14 opportunities is not bad for a team, you know, for for a guy that's really stuck in an early down role, right? They're finding other ways to still try to get him the ball. So, that's the positive. I know it didn't come through in the box score, but moving on. Bryce asking quickly about Nico Collins. He's fine. He's a flex if you want him. I think you'll be hard-pressed during most weeks to rank 50 wide receivers ahead of him. I don't think you'll be that hard-pressed to rank 30. So just one of those guys where I don't think the ceiling is out there enough to really feel confident. Is that really on Nico? No, of course not. It's more so on Davis Mills and the overall offensive environment. If we would have seen Brandon Cooks get traded or just really fall out of favor and get in the doghouse, that'd be one thing, but really can't have, you know, as even a committee as we have here and expect more yards. I mean, Chris Moore had seven targets as, as did Nico Collins today. So it's not being funneled enough to Nico or even Brandon Cooks at this point to get behind a wide receiver still in a pretty horrendous passing game. On the Washington side of things, Curtis Samuel, Kingstake, Kings, Dwayne had a rushing touchdown out there to make up for, you know, just an otherwise performance where he didn't have too much going on. On from this offense but I just wanted to say last 50 years the most yards per carry among all players with at least 100 carries Brad Smith Mike Vick Tavon Austin Justin Fields Debo Samuel Randall Cunningham only guys with more than Curtis Samuel so true king shit from Curtis but otherwise it was kind of disappointing I think to see Gibson and Robinson not make more of this matchup against the league's single worst defense and PPR points per game allowed to opposing running backs. That said, we did have J.D. McKissick finally put on IR with that neck injury, and for the first time since Brian Robinson returned, Antonio Gibson actually had more carries than Brian Robinson. So I'm not sure if that was a matter of, hey, Washington was up a lot and they still considered Gibson the you know RB2, so they were willing to give him those extra carries. We did not have a Jonathan Williams out there. There wasn't an RB3 to potentially take the mop-up dude. So we still have Gibson out there returning the kicks that has not changed uh, since August. So I'm hesitant in assuming this is a full backfield takeover Dwayne, but at a minimum, again, also knowing that McKissick isn't coming back that we could see low key. Now, I'm not saying like a Rashad Penny sort of stretch run for last year where all of a sudden Gibson's winning championships, but we did see Gibson last five, six weeks of weeks of last season without McKissick put some good things out there. And if we're not seeing Robinson run away with the backfield, I do think Gibson out of these two could be the top 24 running back moving forward. Yeah. So, I mean, I've had Gibson in the mid RB two range, the last three games, just because he's really taken over all the passing down work with JD McKissick out. I'm with you. I don't know that this means there's a full backfield takeover, but Robinson hasn't been that good either. Right. I mean, last week he had like 45 carries for 12 he's yards. Been horrendous. This year. You know? He just has awesome. <laughs> so story. he's been bad. Uh, yeah. So it also could be 
more of a takeover. Now, they were pretty close in rushing attempts today, 46% to Antonio Gibson, 38% to Brian Robinson. And this is another, you know, you kind of mentioned with the Rams. You know, this one has been even, this one has been more unpredictable, in my opinion. It's been more of a flip-flop around here and there. Now, it is narrowed down. I do think Antonio Gibson, though, just knowing that he has the passing down work and he's going to have somewhere between 30 and 40% of the rushing attempts, like, that is really good. 69% route participation today, that's elite. Like, if you get a guy around the 70% mark, that's really good. His targets per route run historically have been good over the last two years. They've also been good this year. So I do believe that Antonio Gibson is a guy that could really perform more like a high-end RB2, and he's going to give you more RB1 weeks coming forward. Um, it just hasn't quite worked out yet for him. But 13.3 points in a PPR, you'll take it. You know, I mean, 18 carries today, three targets. You know, he had 100, he had over 100 total yards. He just didn't have a touchdown. He had 100% of the touches inside the 10, though. So I think there's a lot of things to like here about Antonio Gibson. Um, Brian Robinson, on the other hand, like we kind of, this should have been his game script. Yep. They led the whole way. Like I could, I, this is the kind of game where like we saw it on Monday night against the Eagles. They got in, they got ahead and they just grinded Brian Robinson. Robinson. So to see a game that worked out this way and for to see Robinson not get those carries, to your point, maybe it was just something that they wanted to give some of the extra carries to Gibson because Robinson's still the starter. I, I don't know. It could be any of those things. But if I had to pick one of these backs that I really like moving forward that I would want to have in my roster, I think Antonio Gibson is a guy that we will be excited to have on our fantasy football rosters through the playoffs. Seven straight games now to start Brian Robinson's career where he hasn't even managed to average four yards per carry. That's It's just one game after another, yeah. and I really struggle to find uh, anything that says Robinson's a better professional football player. Okay, I get it. This, at the, when the similar Swift, I think Jamal Williams vibes to an extent, we can talk about you know who does a better job reading their blocks up the middle and all that stuff. But again, it is very much that. That's a great parallel. Yeah. So, and that's actually like in the utilization report, I've called it out. I've been like, this is basically the role we hoped DeAndre Swift had. That's yeah. what I've called it. Or, <laughs> or what Austin Eckler had like two years ago before, you know, Melvin Gordon left and all of a sudden he took over all the rushing downs. Like, or even Alvin Kamara back in the day when you had really Mark Ingram handling more of the early down stuff. That's the role that Antonio Gibson is in. And he's also a guy that we've seen that can play really well in the passing game. So uh, if your league trade, you know, is still allowing trades, like he's a great buy low option in my opinion, especially now knowing McKissick is out for the rest of the season. Final note here, low-key on that same McKissick release, we also had Armani Rogers, one of their tight ends, get placed on IR as well. Now, coming into this season, Logan Thomas was coming off that late ACL injury. And I mean, this is someone that's, you know, over 30 years of age already, so we weren't exactly sure when he was going to be out there. Came back sooner than we thought, but wasn't able to get that full-time role. We had Bates out there as well. Washington was using tight ends a little bit more often, but we did see today, Dwayne, I believe season-high marks in each of receptions with five and receiving errors with 65. We've seen Logan be very productive in the past and fantasy. Thanks a lot to that true every down snap full-time role that few offenses will give their tight ends, but Washington is one of the rare groups. Did we get back to that today? Because he has been on the injury report still, I believe, with a rib issue. How did Logan Thomas's underlying usage look? He's not quite back to that, but he's been working his way up over the last few games. So he was at a 69% route participation. So right at 70, that's still doable, right? I mean, we, we want the 80% mark or more. But 70% is okay. Um, and again, he could he could inch his way up further. 
Um, you know, you mentioned the injury, you know, to Rogers who had been out there a little bit, but like Cole Turner and Bates, like they were just kind of rotating in a little bit. They used three tight ends quite a bit today because they were leading. They only dropped back to pass 43% of the time. So had this game been something where they were throwing more, we could have easily seen that be the thing that would send Logan Thomas's, you know, route participation higher, right? If they just knew that they needed him to be on the field, he had a 27% target share today. Like that tied Terry McLaurin and Terry McLaurin, dude. With Taylor Heineke, like this dude is like just, I mean, from a target share perspective, now they didn't have to throw the ball a lot today, but like it's hard to find anybody, Ian, over the last four to five games. Um, I haven't tallied it up, but like as of the end of last week, looking at the last four games, he was in the top three in target share over that stretch. He's He might be number one over the last four to five games now after another 27% target share today, 2.39 yards per route run. Like, man, Terry McLaurin is like he's – He's taken over. He's like he's looking like an alpha right now for the commanders. A little bit of a quiet day, but again, that's because the passing game didn't really yeah. have to keep their foot on the gas for all that often. Still, the number eight player in the entire NFL in receiving yards. Gotta love Terry. Really, again, just taking the step forward and I think giving us the counting stats that we've always known could be there if we had just anything close to above average to average quarterback play. And I will give Taylor Heineke a little bit of tip of the cap there. Wasn't always a believer, but he has been playing some winning football and more importantly, just existing in those two to three seconds between getting the snap and getting the football into Terry McLaurin's hands. Before we get to the late afternoon games, I want to give a quick couple shout outs to some of our lovely sponsors. This holiday season, I'll be giving thanks to our friends over at Manscaped. Everyone loves turkey and stuffing, but you'll be looking like dessert with the help of Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming have blessed you with the ultimate Thanksgiving dinner topic. Tell your in-laws about your new cutting-edge ball trimmer and gift yourself or the man in your life the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Trim your pumpkins and save 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com and using code PFFARI. Inside, you'll find your lawn, lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver, ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. Think your holiday spread is good. It's time to give thanks to the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, or as I like to call it, the perfect package for your package. Gifting Manscaped is the ultimate hack to becoming the family favorite. Save 20% off and free shipping by going to manscaped.com and use code PFFARI. That's right. 20% off and free shipping by going to manscaped.com and using code PFFARI. I swear if that's actually a PFFRE ad, I am not going to be happy, but we'll find out later. Be thankful this all holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Also love our friends over at Western Southern. The PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, plan to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Yeah, Dwayne, I was, you know, like, man, Ian, feel like this is a weird abbreviation here. I don't want to do my uh, <laughs> 1-800-HOPANY instead of Hope MY for another season. So I will, uh, I will get that sorted out in the future. Quickly, though, before we move on, got to give a shout-out to our lovely friends over at Sleeper and do our weekly Sleeper segment. So this one's actually a little bit pertinent here, Dwayne, because – as much as we think DeAndre Hawkins is going to play, Cliff Kingsbury called it a maintenance issue. Still is Monday night football. And if God forbid he does get ruled out tomorrow night or we get word, we're going to have some people scrambling on those waiver wires. So my initial thought would be taking DeAndre Hopkins out of the picture. We're not getting Marquise Brown back for at least this week. That leaves us with AJ Green, Robbie Anderson, 
um, obviously Rondale Moore as the lead target getter, and then Greg Dortch. So out of that group, Dwayne, again, if Hopkins is out of the picture, between A.J. Green, Robbie Anderson, Greg Dortch, who would you be most willing to throw a desperation dart at on Monday Night Football? Or maybe even Jawan Jennings on the other side of the ball. Probably not, I, though. Yeah, I think I'd probably just try to flex Trey McBride. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> um yeah i don't know like the problem is they rotate man like so it's like aj green last week came through with the touchdown but you saw him dorch and robbie anderson all rotate through that outside wide receiver spot now if you had hopkins off the field that probably means you've got robbie anderson and aj green really as the two that are rotating and then when they're in three wide they're both on the field with rondell moore so but man as far as i think dorch is is it's tougher, right? Because you're going to see Rondell Moore kick inside and then he doesn't get on the field until they go into 10 personnel. So I would say that it would be AJ Green if I had to pick a receiver. If I was getting to pick from anyone, I would just make it Trey McBride. Again, thank you to our lovely sponsors over there at Sleeper. In my opinion, the best place to go play redraft or dynasty fantasy football. And with that, let's get on to the late afternoon games. We had a uh, pretty brutal one here. Raiders took down the Broncos 22 to 16. You know, good for them. The under did cash a 41 and a half and the Raiders did manage to cover. But my God, Dwayne, this Broncos offense sucks. This team would be... <laughs> Nine and one if they could only score 18 points in regulation. Still the only offense in the NFL, which is two games with 20 plus points. So one of those things where similar to uh, Indianapolis, they kind of ran down the field. I'm not sure if it was their first drive. Maybe it was their second one, but they showed some promise early. And we actually ended up seeing, you know, Kendall Hinton almost score a touchdown, really athletic play where he tried to reach over the pylon. They ruled him just out. Latavius Murray jammed his way in and they had some other, you know, just short missed opportunities. Melvin Gordon, did have the ball inside the five it looked like he was about to score got the ball stripped I think at about the one yard line they had to end up settling for a field goal and later in the game I mean offsides like free play Russ hit Kendall Hinton right in the hands I mean I'm not saying he would have pulled away from everyone but he had a couple steps I mean this was at least going to be a 30-yard game if not a 74-yard house call so it wasn't the worst game I've seen them play, but we were saying this after the London game where like they scored 21 points and it felt like a breakthrough. I mean, at this point, Dwayne, <laughs> it was good to see Cortland Sutton give us 80 yards because, you know, it wasn't that long ago where we had 50 total yards in a span of like three freaking games. But I'm not going to feel confident about going back to Sutton as a low-end wide receiver too if Jerry Judy is back, which it sounds like he's going to be before too long. Greg Dolchitz, four catches for 30 yards, but the backfield remains, you know, a committee that honestly seemed like it was swinging a little bit more towards Chase Evans before he got ruled out pretty early with an ankle injury. So I think going into next week, if Jerry Judy is back in this buy, man, we could be looking at an offense without a single top 24 running back or wide receiver or a top 12 quarterback and tight end. And that's just sad, Dwayne. Yeah. Dulcich is hard to knock him out of the top 12 just because tight end's such a mess, right? Yeah. I mean, so even if he just comes through with his four targets for 30 yards, like he's it's it's tough to get him outside of that. Um, you know, 84% route participation, great today. But yeah, on everything else, um, I would still have Dulcich in my top 12, but there's no one else that I would have. Uh yeah. Cortland Sutton moves back to high end wide receiver four, mid-range wide receiver four if Jerry Judy's back. Um, so yeah, it's it's tough, man. It's tough. And you know, it's it's just the passing offenses, period. Again, like Russ has been really bad, but like when you see the 247 yards, you're like that's every damn passing game in the league outside of like five. Yeah. I mean, that's the new ceiling. Remember when 300 yards like was nothing? 
It was like reachable, attainable on like a week to week basis. Well, well, I remember when I was like first playing fantasy football, 300 yards was a big deal. Like I remember like some dude threw for 300 yards and three touchdowns like Kurt Warner when he broke out. You're like, you took notice. You're like, man, nobody in the league does that. Then it got to the point to where 300 yards, like, you know, forget about it. Like, who cares? Like, let me see who's going to throw for 400. Now it's like 250 is a lot like this coverage stuff, man. Like it's it's changed the game. Like I, there will be a counter, something will change, and we'll get things swing back another way. But offenses, they've not figured it out yet. On the Raiders side of the ball, cool guy move from uh, Derek Carr. Had a nice little game out there, 307 yards and two touchdowns. But AB was going on one of his AB God. Twitter tirades, and he was calling him Derek Carb and saying, yeah, <laughs> with this like photoshopped uh, fat face picture of Derek Carr. And AB said he bet a bunch of money on it. And Derek Carr afterwards was, you know, just quote tweeting and stuff. I can't, I couldn't see it because I've been blocked by Derek Carr on Twitter for he years. Said we're eating good tonight. Yeah. Eating good tonight. So good to see, uh, you know, apparently Carr and AB are still uh, still boys somehow after all these years. But look, Josh Jacobs, 160 total yards, you know, had a big 43-yard catch and run that hilariously the Raiders were sprinting to the line to spike the ball on Nathaniel Hackett's like, I got you guys, time out. Like, don't even, don't even worry about Vegas. But end up setting up, uh, you know, the game-tying field goal. That took him to overtime where Devontae Adams sealed it, put Patrick Sertan in a freaking blender out there, had the wide open touchdown, 141 yards and two scores on the day. So Josh Jacobs, weekly RB1, Devontae Adams, weekly upside wide receiver one. Like, my God, rank him wide receiver one, rank him wide receiver five. You're starting him even if there's a fire. Beyond that, man, we have Matt Collins, like, okay, without Renfro, without Waller. He can find his way into games like this where he had nine targets, but even then, we know that the floor is there. And even with Foster Moreau playing an every down role, we also have, you know, the one catch sort of floor sitting there for him. So Jacobs and Adams, both really good at football. You're happy if you have them on your fantasy teams. You got anything else on the Raiders win? Moving on. Moving on to your Dallas Cowboys. 40-3 to beat down over the Minnesota Vikings, covering easily as two-and-a-half-point favorites. The under, that would be a tough game to have the over on because it was at 48-and-a-half, so we did get that under cashing. What a game from Tony Pollard. 80 rushing yards, 109 receiving yards, and a pair of touchdowns through the air. So just in terms of what he's been able to do on the ground this year, though, Fifth highest graded running back we have in terms of PFF rushing grade. Third in yards per carry. Nobody has averaged more yards after contact per carry. And that was, I think, the good point that Tony Romo was bringing up on the podcast. It's Pollard, man. He's, we've seen enough examples at this point. He's not this scat back, you know, okay, yeah, he'll average six yards per carry because he can only handle five, 10 touches per game. He can do a lot more than that. So while I will still continue to say that I like when we can talk about Tony Pollard as being awesome, which I just did, and I haven't even brought up Zeke's name yet, that's the only thing that annoys me here when it's the Cowboys are up 40 to three and it's just like, oh yeah, why could you, how, how is Zeke even employed? Like how does Zeke even have a uniform on out there? And it's like, just appreciate one of the most dominant performances. I believe they said the biggest road win in team history here. So, hey, credit to Zeke. You know, Pollard had two chances to score from the one-yard line, couldn't get it done. Zeke was able to get it there. So, for the first time, Dwayne, we're not seeing Zeke completely exit the picture. He still had 15 carries and a 29% snap rate. But if they're willing to do this, make Pollard the lead featured back and just have Zeke as this, you know, yeah, obviously overpaid uh, kind of kind of short yardage grinder type guy. Like I know that's not what he's making 90 million for, but that's a hell of an RB tandem. And when you got Dak Prescott only throwing three incompletions, all of a sudden this Cowboys offense looks more lethal than it has all season long. And Michael Parsons in the defense haven't gone anywhere. 
Yeah. All you need is the two minute offense. We've talked about this all off season. We, people talked about the slot routes and all this other crap. Hey, I was like, I talked about this. this well, I, know. I, I, try, I tried to let you off, but Ian <laughs> did do it y'all. So, but you, you already knew that, but he got the two minute offense today, a hundred percent. And you saw what that led to that, that he, he, they were in the two minute offense when he scored the touchdown over the top of the linebacker. They were in the two minute offense. I believe they might've been, I got to don't go back and double check on that one on the other touchdown as well. I know one of the other check down targets that he had, they were definitely in the hurry up. So it's, it's one of those scenarios where you get the backs more involved in the passing game. And so that's an easy route and you could do that. And Zeke still gets to keep the role that he's been in. I, I'm one of the people that kind of gives Zeke a hard time. And it's not because I'm so much against Zeke. It's because I'm so sick of the Pollard people, the people that are against Pollard. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. If you take away Zeke, Pollard won't be any good. I'm like, this is the most stupid thing I've ever heard in my life. Like I get it. He's not as good of an inside runner, but on 80% of the snaps, if you're taking Pollard off the field for Zeke, you're you're hurting yourself in my opinion just because we've seen too many times now guys like how can you continue to argue this pollard is a big play waiting to happen zeke is not that doesn't mean zeke's a bad football player but all i can do is compare the two and at any moment pollard can take a swing pass and go 50 for a touchdown can zeke do that no at any moment pollard can beat a linebacker over the top for a 50 yard touchdown reception can zeke do that no at any moment pollard can take an inside handoff for 30 yards for a touchdown can zeke do that anymore no can zeke power it in from the two yard line better than pollard yes let's just <laughs> use them that way like and it's okay i still like zeke but to say but to sit here and argue like oh my god zeke has to get all these touches he doesn't he doesn't ha he doesn't have to so anyway, like moving on, Pollard's awesome, 35.8 fantasy points. As long as he keeps the two-minute offense in, like I'm good. I'm happy with the situation moving forward. Uh, Malik Davis even got in there a little bit this, you know, today because it was a blowout. So normally you're going to see both these guys get a little bit more than what they got today. Obviously, we don't care because they came through. This was the perfect game script. Zeke, you know, is a blowout. Zeke gets the two scores from inside. You know, Pollard gets used more in the passing game. That's how he scores his touchdowns. Like, this is like the fairy tale road, like to fantasy land for Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. So I thought it was a great way that they split them up today. We'll see if it continues. You know, I mean, it, there's a chance that it doesn't just because Zeke wasn't fully healthy today. But I think the Cowboys have to be at least happy with what they saw, Ian. I would really hope so at this point. Final note on the run game. Malik Davis, uh, one of the low-key answers to why Damian Pierce didn't get more usage at Florida. I just looked that up during the mm -hmm. game, and I was like, oh, okay, there we go. And the passing That's, game. I, I didn't know that. That's good, yeah. The more you know, I think Emery Jones was the other running back uh, holding him back, unfortunately. But Dak Prescott, again, awesome game. But we've seen this, Dwayne, when they can run the ball and when their defense can really shut down the opposition, you have these games where Dak is awesome, but he only throws the football 25 times. So that's why none of these really guys other than Tony Pollard could have the big performances. C.D. Lamb caught all, all of his targets. The problem was he only had five. Dalton Schultz caught three of his five targets, almost had a touchdown. Des Bryant thought he should have had a touchdown on Twitter. I love seeing uh Des <laughs> yeah. a lot of tweeting out there Romo too everyone's trying to just use one hand these days like put the second hand out there so yes it did seem like Schultz could have had an 11 yard score wouldn't call it a drop but it was a fantastic throw by Dak which was again what we saw all afternoon Noah Brown also almost had a touchdown on a beautiful double move to get the, all the way down the one yard line just couldn't quite get across the plane so 
Dalton Schultz still an upside tight end one. C.D. Lamb still an upside wide receiver one. Remember what happened freaking last week when they had to throw the ball a little bit more? Feeling really good about the Cowboys as a team and an offense moving forward. Obviously, the defense, too, to hold this group to just three points. So, look, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, we're not going to worry about anything going on here. And even T.J. Hawkinson, Dwayne, someone that I think we've seen ideal usage come into Minnesota. Like, he's not going to drop that seven-yard touchdown every week. I mean, he had another almost 29-yard gain down the sideline where he just couldn't quite get that second foot down. So 34% target share today for, for Hawkinson. It's it's beautiful, man. It's been there ever since. <laughs> yeah. Again, that's why it's tough for and me. Targets. Like all these other guys, like, oh, they still learn the playbook and stuff. Like Hawkinson came in that first exactly. game and played over 90% of the snaps. And I would argue that tight end is a more difficult position to learn. More than responsibilities. Some, yep. Exactly. Just more stuff going on. So Hawkinson, Dalvin, Jefferson, we love them all. And I'm not going to yeah. downgrade them at all from this game. That fair? Nope. Um, we're good. Nothing to say. Fantastic. Look at look at us. You know, week week eleven, Dwayne. We finally find a way to start moving. It's a condensed, a it's a condensed offense. I'm like, I don't have to say anything. No, we good. We good. <laughs> we're good. Bengals took down the Steelers 37 to 30, covering us three and a half point favorites. The over was just at 39 and a half in this one. So that cash with ease. The Bengals, Dwayne, have now scored 10 touchdowns in their last two games. Five have gone to Joe Mixon. Three have gone to Samaj Piran. Trent Irwin got one, and then Joe Burrow ran one in for a touchdown. So just unlucky for someone like T. Higgins to go out there, have nine catches for 148 yards, looking like a freaking alpha doing it. Just hasn't found the end zone because it's freaking 120 minutes of football, and the guy is getting a little bit unlucky with all these running backs taking away those scores. The Tyler Boyd, you know, goose egg for a long portion of this game was tough to see. He did slightly save his day, two catches. Is 42 yards at the end, but hey, it's a performance where Burrow just went out there, focused most of his efforts on T. Higgins, and then when they got around the goal line, Samaj Piran was able to score. So the passing game, the way Burrow's looking lately, really great stuff from there, and we did get some word that at least Jamar Chase seems to have a chance to return in Week 12. We'll see if that happens. It'll be an important practice report to pay attention to, but I think the more pertinent subject, Dwayne, is what to make of this backfield because unfortunately, Joe Mixon did suffer a concussion and was ruled out, so maybe he can get back in one week i do not the Bengals do not play on thanksgiving so he no, should have no. the entire week to get back out there but we saw in this one with chris evans out of the picture with that knee injury not a long-term issue he was practicing in a limited fashion throughout this week but samaj p ryan who lest we forget i think he still owns the uh all-time single game collegiate rushing record him and melvin gordon like broke the tomlinson had the record for like 15 years and then melvin gordon and p ryan broke it like one week after each other i think p ryan still holds that record but i don't think he's an incredible receiver but you don't have to be an incredible receiver to sometimes be able to fall into the end zone three times in an offense led by joe burrow so look Dwayne, i'm not gonna exactly cross out mixon and put p ryan's name in there because i do think mixon is better than samaje p ryan but i think p ryan's gonna have a pretty similar role and similar to someone like a montgomery like a james connor when we're getting in this much usage, usage he's gonna to be tough to keep out of that upside rb2 conversation yeah absolutely and we've talked about p ryan being one of the guy one of the last remaining guys that's just sitting on the wire you know so he's probably available for a lot of you you're not going to have all the information when your waiver wire runs right it, with early in the season it seemed like when someone suffered a concussion that we weren't seeing them for two weeks and that kind of seemed like that was going to be the trend but now we've seen several players experience a concussion and be back the next week so we're not going to know for sure um, what's going to happen with Joe Mixon. So that's going to, that means you're going to have to figure out how to size your bid the right way. I can't necessarily give you that answer right now. I haven't thought through it, 
But yeah, if P Ryan is the guy, like you're for sure putting him in your RB two. Like it's just not, you know. I mean, I don't know. I have to see your roster, but he he could, he would certainly be worth putting in as an RB two. We'll put it that way, and you, and you would feel fine about the volume. To your point, we know he's not going to catch three receiving touchdowns, you know, a week on his four targets. But you know, he could also easily punch one in on, on the ground. He had all of the passing down duties today, eighty percent of the short down and distance. Um, you know, and really, I mean, he took everything. Like once Joe Mixon left, we did see Travion Williams work in just a little bit, but not enough to be worried about it. On the Steelers side of things, scored more than 23 points for the first time this season. So for that, hey, good job, Kenny Pickett. But man, Dwayne, I've really tried to give this dude the benefit of the doubt, you know, being the first round quarterback, having that hellacious schedule to start that I've memorized at this point, the amount of times I freaking read it out for everyone, comes in off the bye, has a Saints team that, again, he didn't look good against, but Maybe I just, you know, didn't pay enough attention to it because I love all these weapons here in Pittsburgh, but it's just another week where, yes, he could have had 300 plus and two touchdowns. Unfortunately, George Pickens, for as many great things as he's done this year, he did drop what should have been a 46-yard touchdown there at the end. But man, Deontay Johnson, four catches, 21 yards. You can say my helicopter cursed him, and you might not be wrong at this <laughs> point because that thing has a mind of its own these days and this year in general. But, hey, man, Fryermuth had the eight catches, 79 yards. Pickens did catch another touchdown where Pickett hung in the pocket, made a nice throw. So it's not that guys can't produce in this offense. Najee Harris, two touchdowns, 90 yards. We'll talk about him more in a second. There's another reason why his usage was going up, but – this passing game specifically, Dwayne Pickens, Fryermuth, Deontay. With Deontay and Pickens, I mean, I'm not saying this is a takeover by Pickens by any stretch. He had six targets and Deontay had five. I still fully maintain that Deontay Johnson is a very good real-life football receiver. I would even say great. We've seen more than enough evidence in past years. And honestly, this year, if you just have watched what he's done out there, the dude has been so freaking close. Yet here we are, 86 targets later, and he still does not have a touchdown on the season, most in the league. But Pickens and Deontay, again, I was hoping when we got rid of Claypool that they could be the guys to step up and maybe start threatening that borderline wide receiver two conversation. I think now they just need to continue to be these guys that they have been where we're not exactly firing up as more than low floor wide receiver threes. Maybe just maybe the real winner of the chase Claypool trade is Pat Fryermuth. Yeah, he is um, 29% target share um, last weekend, 31% target share today. Uh, he had 11 targets, eight receptions, 79 yards. Not even Zach Gentry, Ian, can slow <laughs> this man down right now. Whoa, um, whoa. 78.2 PFF grade today. So, like, yeah, Fryermuth's playing really well. Um, you know, and with Claypool leaving, it makes sense. I mean, he was operating underneath, playing in the slot, low A dot, a lot of the same stuff that Fryermuth's getting, that, that underneath intermediate kind of stuff. Great matchups, linebackers, safeties. I think Fryermuth's going to be a really good tight end for a long time. I'm not quite as worried. Yeah, I agree. Like I've I've been like you. I've just, I keep waiting on Pickett, but I feel like he's showing enough that he can support like what he has here. Like it's gonna, you know, I, I not all of them are gonna go off every week by any means. But I mean, 265 yards. I mean, we've just talked about what the new reality of of the NFL is. I mean, honestly, we probably if you're gauging it right now, 260 to 270 is like the old 300. And he had yeah. 265 today and he had a passing touchdown. You know, he did have, he had two big time throws, two turnover worthy plays. That's been the tricky thing with Pickett. He does have the turnover worthy plays. So from an NFL perspective, I think there's more questions around Pickett than potentially what we might get out of him as a fantasy asset down the stretch. And not so much that we're going to love starting him in, but I do think that we could probably get two of these passing weapons to come through on most weeks. Which we Didn't, did this uh, week. 
Yeah, we did. We did. And Najee got a little more involved this weekend. 17%. You also saw Jalen Warren get hurt. We don't, I don't have the latest on him, like what's going to occur with that. But Najee was back to that old school Najee role, 92% of the snaps, 84% of the rushing attempts, 81% route participation, all the short down distance, all the two minute offense, all of it, all of it, all of it was all going to Najee and like just looked pretty good. Also some good blocking on a play. Like I saw a lot of people going nuts about the one touchdown and it was good. Like he did his job, but people were like, oh man, where's this Najee been? I was like, that was great blocking. Like that was just, you know, he got to the edge and there was really nothing there. Now he had to turn it on enough like to get there, but Najee played really well. Also had a, a, a touchdown, you know, plunge from inside like the two yard line, a little more involved in the passing game like we talked about. So maybe, maybe Najee like can be coming through for some of these folks. Most likely if you drafted Najee, like you're just giving me double birds because it's probably over for you, but uh, maybe not. Maybe you've made it. There's been a lot of injuries to a lot of players. So I never assumed that an early round draft pick this year actually even sunk your team because so many people have had to deal with injuries. I think what really sparked Najee was Jalen Warren last week had a nice catch and run where he hurdled a guy. And that's that's Najee's move, Dwayne. Even going back to Bama, Najee hurdles yeah. guys more than anyone. So I think it was, you know, like the soldier boy, like stole my whole flow bar for bar. Like Najee, once he saw the hurdle actually get thrown out there, man, he was done messing around. But obviously that injury to Jalen Warren did play a big part of it. Jalen Warren, Samaje Piran, and Matt Breda. Those have been the three running backs we've been trying to tell you guys recently. Like they have high handcuff potential and they actually usually are still available on those waiver wires so unfortunately if Jalen is going to be missing time with his hamstring injury he's not going to be someone that needs to be on rosters down the stretch the good news though yeah Najee Harris getting 93 percent of the snaps out there 20 carries and six targets that's the role he had last year when we didn't need to worry about the efficiency guess what he wasn't any better last year. He just had a lot more volume because Jalen Warren wasn't stealing 30 to 40% of the uh, snaps and workload away each and every week. Benny Snell was active, and they were just like, no, like, no, man, stay on the bench. We're fine. We got Najee. We're fine, Benny. No, no need uh, over here. I think that about covers it for this game. Only other thing I would say, yeah, I don't want to be too uh, tough on Pickett. It still is very early into his career. And again, Dwayne, it's one of those things where I think the Steelers get an interesting pass for the way they kind of handled that situation, going Trubisky to Pickett. I know we talked about it last week, and you brought up a reasonable point about how you don't want to go backwards with the decision. So from that standpoint, like, okay, I'll give him a, I, I guess, you know, more of a pass for what the Bears did last year with Justin Fields and Andy Dalton. But hey, so many years of Tomlin being eight and eight or better. This is going to be the first one in all likelihood where he's not going to get there. Uh, you know, bro clock is wrong twice a day. If you want to go on the opposite end of that usual assumption. All right. Last one of the podcast. Appreciate you guys sticking with us the whole time here. Chiefs took down the Chargers 30 to 27. Another AFC West classic, at least between Mahomes and Herbert out here. So Mahomes on the day, 329 yards and not one, not two, three touchdowns. Did he throw them all to Kadarius Tony or Sky Moore or Justin Watson? Nope. Each and every one of them to Travis Kelsey, who just keeps on keeping on. The dude is breaking fantasy football seemingly at this point. The overall tight end one again, Mark Andrews got it from him last year, but it looks like it's going to be going right back to Kelsey this year. So unfortunately, Dwayne, it was not the Kadarius Tony breakout we we're all hoping for. He suffered a real hamstring injury this time very early on in the game. And it just sucks. It sucks, Dwayne. Yeah, man, um, it does. And we knew there was risk with Kadarius Tony coming in anyway. We knew that he only played 41% route participation last weekend, despite the fact that Juju got knocked out early in that game. Well, in the first half with a concussion, and we also didn't have Mikael Hartman last week. So there was risk anyway coming in, but that he that he might not have a full-time role, and we didn't see that 
right away in that first drive. Like you could see Tony wasn't out there as much as some people might have thought he was going to be. But he always has a chance to come through because he demands so many targets when he's on the field. And to your point, he just never got a chance. So it does really suck. Um, I know a lot of people got him into starting lineups. I got so many questions on Kadarius. Like I just put out a tweet about him. Like I'm just getting a lot of questions. I'm just going to say this is where I'm at on Kadarius, Tony. Um, and the upside was definitely there. But look, this is it didn't work out for him today. Yeah, after the first play, I tweeted not enough Kadarius Tony usage so far. And uh, sadly, Dwayne, it ended up not being a joke. That just ended up being really scary uh, for the rest of the day. Hopefully he's better, but we'll see. Won't know anymore until he is better. Look, Juju Smith-Schuster should be back sooner rather than later. I mean, he wasn't able to practice last week from the concussion. It's always difficult to know. Seemingly, he's not on the IR at this point. No Miko. If we do have Juju out again, if we do have Kadarius Tony now dealing with this issue, did you see enough from Sky Moore out there to make you think he could be a guy? Because as much as, you know, anytime this happens and we are, I did see some victory laughs out there for Sky Moore. It's like, my goodness, people, come on, have a little bit of self-respect out here. As someone that was fine with Sky Moore, like in, earlier in the offseason, but I don't think that, you know, game plan went into assuming yeah. four other injuries were going to happen and they brought in, they traded for another guy to take his job and then he got hurt. But that said, he did catch five of six targets, 63 yards, and looked good out there. Actually had a couple of nice routes where you remember why they drafted him in the second round in the first place. That said, Dwayne, did he even have separation from guys like Justin Watson and MBS in terms of the routes? Um, I don't have it because it was the late game. Uh, that's right. But So, I mean, you might be able to pull it up in Yankee stuff. But, I mean, here's my thoughts on Sky Moore. Um, look, we like you said, we liked him. We were drafting him, um, you know, this offseason. So, he's a guy okay. that I was this really guy. high on. But with Sky Moore, I just struggle because here's the thing. You already you guys have seen what Marquise Valdez Scantling is. Yes, they paid him, but he's not a target earner, right? Juju was starting to come on over the last few games, but he hadn't really been special before that. So it had really just been Travis Kelsey. Their new additions were not doing a ton for them. And so the fact that Sky Moore hadn't already been able to make his way onto the field, like that really bothers me. Now, having said that, he made it on the field tonight and he did what he was supposed to do. He played really well. So is there a chance if Tony's out, maybe he could carve out a role here, take some of these snaps away from MVS, some of these other guys? I think there's a chance, but it's not a guy like I'm going to get hyper excited about, right? Because if Juju's back next week, like most likely, like Sky Moore, yeah, he's going to be out there to play more, but it's probably going to be like 50% route participation. Like they used Justin Watson again tonight. Did you pull up the routes? Yeah, I got him now. It's it's not yeah, good. Ju him. Justin Watson, 37 routes. MVS, 29. Sky Moore, just 16. I mean, Travis Kelsey, uh, Travis Kelsey had 29, which is weird that Watson had such a boom over even Kelsey, but that might that might just be short-term uh, Well, Watson's there. a really good run blocker, too, so they like him. You know, he's a bigger body guy. He's a physical receiver. So. But, Dwayne, the problem is Noah Gray even ran more routes than Sky Moore, so they're willing yeah, to. Yeah, see? Yeah. Yeah, it's a problem. Not great. All right, final thing here with the Chiefs. We did see Isaiah Pacheco continue to have plenty of usage here. Had his first 100-yard game of his young career. Look, fine enough out there. Uh, Pat Dottery uh, said it was like a mix of Darren Sproles, Russell Wilson running style. I love the way Pat thinks. So I'm still, I'm still trying <laughs> I to didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, and, and he also called it very. Awesome. Uh, he also called it very Christian Michael esque, which I, I did see a little bit there in the way he was running. So solid stuff out of the rookie. Again, I, I think sometimes we have players like Pacheco, a seventh round pick who we were able to get pretty cheap in fantasy for a while, and maybe sometimes that hype for like his situation, like 
like relative to his situation starts to make us think he's maybe a little bit better overall than he might be relative to, you know, positions already really good players. But Regardless of all that, Claude Eversolaire, unfortunately, was out there still making it a bit of a three-back committee, even if he was a clear third back. Now we probably don't even have to worry about that because he suffered a high ankle sprain. This should be good for Pacheco, Dwayne. I do wonder if it means we'll see Ronald Jones active for the first time of the season, but it does seem like it's going to be Pacheco and McKinnon moving forward. While McKinnon did once again lead in snaps, that's been happening a lot throughout this year. So assuming... For now, that Rojo isn't going to come in and do more than Clive was, which I, that, that wouldn't make sense to me. If Rojo couldn't play and now Clyde gets hurt, why would Rojo play more than Clyde already was? But Pacheco, no targets in this one, but 15 carries. Travis Kelsey, feasibly, theoretically, won't score every single touchdown when they get inside the 10-yard line. Isaiah Pacheco, Dwayne, where do you kind of see him falling moving forward? He, well, he, yeah, go ahead. Uh, imagine that you had Deonta Foreman or you had Damian Pierce's role on the chiefs. Like it's good. (laughs) It's a good thing. Like he's gonna, he should be in the RB two conversation. And you know, I, the chiefs do throw the ball when they're down inside the five, they're a pass heavy team down there, but he's going to have some opportunities to score rushing touchdowns. We saw Clyde Edwards, Alaire get some early in early in the year. So I think in an offense like this, any, any given game, you could look up and be like, Whoa, I just got two rushing touchdowns out of Isaiah Pacheco. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be McKinnon still out there on the passing downs. But I think this is a low end RB two, you know, with upside. the The challenge is it's a it's a, you know, it's, he's in a really good offense, but you know he's not going to get the catch it, the catches most likely, and you know you need him to score the touchdown. But at least he's in the quality offense. So I mean, it's kind of a it's a like a a thin needle to thread, if you will, because if he doesn't come up with the touchdown, even on a game like tonight where he gives you 107 rushing yards, you're like, oh, 10 points you know, in a, in a PPR, well, really in any league, but if you're in a PPR, you didn't get anything right out of just an extra catch, but it doesn't mean he won't get a catch or two like here or there. Right. I mean, that's still a possibility. It's not like they have, like we've talked about with the chiefs, there's no one out here besides Kelsey just demanding all these looks. So they could easily just get Pacheco a little bit more involved in the passing game early, on early downs. And that could go a long way for him. So I like him. Like, I think there's a lot of upside just because of the offense that he's in. On the Chargers side of the ball, again, they took a lead very late in the fourth quarter, but gave Mahomes just a little bit too much time. If you ever heard that one before, Herbert at the end of the day, though, 280 yards and two touchdowns, had a beautiful 46-yard dime to Keenan Allen down the sideline that ended up setting up the go-ahead Joshua Palmer score. Hit Joshua Palmer for a 50-yard touchdown in their first drive of the game. Man, the guy has a howitzer for a right arm. It's just a shame that they don't always let him show it off, but then again, when you're looking out there, they don't really have a field stretch on this team just yet. I mean, Jalen Guyton is that guy. He's been on IR since about week three at this point. So that's always a double-edged sword of that conversation. As nice as it is watching Herbert throw these absolute missiles downfield, like they just, I don't think they've set up this offense quite right to have those sort of wide receivers. I mean, they did pay one $20 million, but unfortunately, Mike Williams re-suffered, re-injured that ankle real quick into this one, only ended up running four routes and got ruled out fairly quickly. But Dwayne, that did set up another big game for Josh Palmer, who went off on all of our benches because why would you feel all that good about starting the guy when Mike Williams was allegedly back at 200% in his own words, and we had Keenan Allen at least coming back on that pitch count. It did end up being correct for Keenan, ran 28 routes in this one, did play 44 snaps, which was a little bit more than expected, and 
looked good out there. I mean, that was the best thing for Keenan Allen, Dwayne. Like, he looked like Keenan Allen for the first time, really, since he suffered that hamstring injury all the way back in week one. So, Josh Palmer, we have seen him booming more in recent weeks, which is weird because, again, he hasn't had Keenan in the picture all season. He really wasn't giving us much going on early on in the year. So, I still think that anyone involved in this offense is going to have a nice chance at flirting with these boom outcomes because you have Justin Herbert under center. Also having Gerald Everett out with that groin injury. He got, he was a late downgrade on the injury report over the weekend. That took away one less mouth to feed. We're also not going to see too many weeks where Austin Eckler only catches two passes on the entire evening. So I do think this is probably, yeah, fair to say, Josh Palmer's best performance of the year. How many times are you going to catch 100 or have 100 yards and two touchdowns? But the fact that's in his range of outcomes says enough. Let's say Mike Williams is going to miss some time, though, Dwayne, with Keenan, with Eckler in the fold, and those are guys that obviously we're going to be squeezing into far more starting lineups than not. How would you approach Josh Palmer in this seemingly Mike Williams-less offense once again? Yeah, when they've had one of the other weapons healthy, like I've treated him more like a wide receiver four. Right. Whenever he had both guys out, like I was very much in on, okay, fine, put him in the wide receiver three conversation because there's going to be volume. Like he hasn't been a great target earner, to be honest. Like I know the target totals have looked good. Like tonight was really his best game, period. Um, but like whenever you average it out, right, and you look at his targets per route run, his target shares, all those things, they've been okay, uh, really below okay, not even average. But there's enough passing volume that it can still come through for him. Um, so I would say, you know, with if we've got one of them out, like it puts him back on the wide receiver, you know, high end wide receiver four, low end wide receiver three. I'm not as big on Palmer as some people, like just because none of the underlying metrics really look good, really look good for him. Like even tonight, the first touchdown, like I mean, he was pretty much wide open. The second touchdown, they just didn't cover him in a crosser on the end zone. So that's not his fault. Like he was open, he caught it, but he didn't have to do anything for those targets. So some of even what I saw tonight, it was like, okay, like great. Like he was he was wide open, he ran his route. You know, nobody covered him. Touchdown. So I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm. He's fine. He's a wide receiver three. If Josh Palmer had this role in Houston, we wouldn't look at him twice. But guess what? He has this role with Justin yes. Herbert under center. So we will continue to look at him. But yes, again, really, this was a ceiling outcome for him. Doesn't mean, just like Deontay, I mean, different situations, everything. But just because these guys have a ceiling game like this, they don't need to all of a sudden be a must-start player no matter yeah. what moving forward. Continue to evaluate the context and just try to do... He did what everybody hoped Kadarius Tony would do tonight, though. So... <laughs> <sighs> Give him that. He was on everyone's benches. Kadarius Tony was in everyone's lineup. And Josh Palmer gave us the outcome everybody hoped Kadarius Tony could have. So. F- final note here is unrelated to everything we've been talking about, but I had to bring it up. The Toronto Argonauts upset the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to win the Grey Cup and are now CFL champions. How did they win that, Dwayne? Backup quarterback Chad Swag Kelly led the Argos on a game-winning drive to pull the upset 24-23. to All my Swag Kelly truth is out there. Stand up. Our boy's a champion. Man. One of the best preseason quarterbacks we've seen in years. Good for you, Chad Kelly. Kings stay Kings. Great day to be great. Congrats to the Toronto Argonauts on their great cup W. And with that, everyone, we are going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Dwayne, let the people know all the expensive and, you know, unaffordable <laughs> tools that you guys are giving away over at MB Fantasy Life. Yeah, if you guys are on a budget, just forget about it because it's all free. Um, but yeah, you guys can sign up for the newsletter. You can do that. You can go to my Twitter handle at 
Dwayne McFarland, D-W-A-I-N-M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D. And when you check on my profile, you'll actually see a spot to sign up for the newsletter. Or you can just go to fantasylife.com. You'll see my rankings, my tiers, the utilization report, you know, all that good kind of stuff coming out throughout the week. We're going to be doing some cool stuff this week around the Thanksgiving slate. So we'll be geared up to have you guys all ready for Turkey Day. So, yeah, come check it out. How about you, Mr. Hardis? What do you got going on this week? Week 12, same old, same old. We just grinding out here, baby. Finally almost got mm-hmm. these playoffs, you know, on the way here. And, of course, getting that Week 17 championship Sunday. All of a sudden, not looking too far off. So I'll be back here with Nathan on the waiver wire on Tuesday. I got some handy-dandy charts to help start looking ahead to who actually has the best and worst matchups in those fantasy playoffs. So a couple of weeks ago, we were going through the best guys to target weeks 10 through 14. I hope that, you know, you guys were able to take advantage of a lot of that. Now we will look ahead into those ever important championship playoff rounds and try to make some money there. So with that for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks those for tuning in to the PFF fantasy football podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.